Welcome back to This Is Hardcore Podcast. That was just Truth and Rights, Sociopath. Track we've had on the podcast a couple times, courtesy of Zach Thorne, who was on episode 20. We're going to have Eddie Leeway on the show. I don't know how soon. Me and him have been in chat. Check out his episode on the Smoking Word podcast that he did with Hoya. It was pretty badass. Um, before we get into anything with the guest tonight, I wanted to go over some of the cool things going on with our homies and people that uh, fuck with the podcast heavily. First off, big shout out to Richie Crutch. He's got this new project he's working on. It's called Z9. Check it out. Follow them on Instagram. It's a little bit more fast-paced, melodic, a lot of O's and ahs, which has always been Richie's shit. Check them out. Big Jeff, Vidi Paz. They got a new episode of Broadsheet Breakdown. You can find them on Spotify. You can find them on just about everything. Definitely worth a listen. For me, I was really touched to hear Zach Nelson finally get a chance to have Chris Powerhouse on an episode. Zach Nelson does 185 South, which is a California hardcore podcast. Chris really went deep, got emotional, was hard listening, thinking about Ernie and his final days and just how much of a trooper he was. And it was just great to hear my old friend talk. Check that out. There's so much cool stuff still going on in hardcore, even with COVID and bands not playing as much. For anybody who has stuff going on, you know, shoot me a line either on Instagram, Twitter, or direct at Joe Hardcore Gmail. Have no problem giving some pop to my friends. I love to see that the adversity and the change of the way that we interact has made some people pivot and make some cool moves. Big shout outs to everybody from Fast Break Records to all the different podcasts with all the level of support. My boys Angel and Z got a great podcast. Obviously, we always shout out Post America, Broadsheet Breakdown, 185 South, Jamie York Show. There's so many. Hoya Rock got Smoking Word, Danny Diablo's Den, our boy Aram who was on the podcast. So many good hardcore podcasts out there to keep people talking and thinking about all the great shit that's going on and will go on. A new one that came into the space this week was Terror Zone. In fact, they had Jeff G and Roy together, checked out at the inaugural episode of that one. It's great to see people in so many different ways talking about hardcore and pushing this shit. Even without shows, people are staying in touch with the culture. That's a lot of what this podcast is about, so I love supporting everybody who's out there also doing the same thing we're doing. In finding the balance between talking to people I admire and tracking down their exploits in history, I was looking for conversations that are off the beaten path of the rest of the hardcore podcasts. As I'm a latecomer to a hardcore podcast space, I wanted to make sure that what I was doing was things in my own way, and from time to time, I'll do just like that, especially with our guest tonight, Alex March. Talking to Alex is something that came organically out of a telephone call I had with her, where I was able to think on our conversation as it was happening, and actually even said to her, hey man, this could break for a really good podcast, and that's how I invited her on here, which is, as I've had previous guests on here have spent hours on the phone with me. She's no different. I felt like the energy and the powerful, powerful positive presence would definitely lend itself to an area that really gets paid a lot of lip service online, especially in the younger kids' circles on Twitter and TikTok, etc. But few people have attempted to engage with it in this kind of space on a podcast like this. For me, I'm a 40-year-old guy who's made enough mistakes to easily have people call me every name under the sun. Yet I've done what I can through therapy and trying to find more positive outlets and with a better life perspective to carry me into a better mindset. 
It's been a lot of work and undoubtedly will always continue to carry on working on myself. In my own way, I wanted to have the dedicated listeners check in on a story of someone who came up around the time when things were just about to get crazy in her own neck of the woods and how she evolved into this amazing person she is today. Nothing in this podcast will have any name calling or calling out of specific people. The stories will be discussed with names omitted. For those of you who have suffered trauma and abuse, some of this may trigger, and I'm sorry for that. The intention is to give a platform for Alex to be someone that could be reached out to if anyone has suffered and would like guidance, and to open up the podcast parameters to include these ideas into the picture. For me, it's not something that I'm well-versed enough to talk without someone like her who has this kind of experience, and this has been a curveball from you know record labels, bands, promoters, etc., but I believe that with everything that's been talked about over the last couple of years, that it's important to give a platform to someone like her who can guide and educate. So I hope you enjoy this one. We're talking to Alex March, who people who have been in the New Jersey and Pennsylvania hardcore scene may have known for quite some time. She is also a entrepreneur and a healer and a spiritual person who kicks some serious ass in the mats. Alex March can be found at Alex March Energy, and we'll talk more about that. But for me, being a person in hardcore and seeing the constant conversation being driven towards narcissism, abusive behaviors, and these like cult-like figures that come in and mystify women and then turn to complete rubble and go off and do it again, I don't really have a way to disseminate that information. I have no one that I know of who can connect the dots and explain how these things happen and what to look out for. And I'm not an expert and, and claim never to be one. So I reached out to my friend who I look on her social media every day and she's just spreading the good word, supporting people. And I wanted to have her on the show to kind of, you know, give us a little information and hear her story. And hopefully those of you who are hurting can connect with her. She's an amazing positive energy force not just in the spiritual sense, but literally in the real world, whether it's teaching uh, martial arts classes or taking martial arts herself. And, you know, for someone that I have known for Jesus Christ over 15 years now, she just keeps getting better and better with age. So thank you, Alex March, for coming on our show. Hi, and thank you for having me. That was quite the introduction. We got it. We always have to start out with a positive energy and to extol the highest virtues of our guests and well, I love with, that. And, and with you just just the beaming energy that you exude on the internet with your different social media channels including me as a mostly lurker on tiktok <laughs> now you're like <laughs> someone who pops up even on the tiktok now and <laughs> and instead of adding virtue to the internet noise of all the negativity that comes out with the talk that we're going to get into further. You just seem to be someone who, instead of just, I won't say bad naming and bad mouthing people, you engage how these things happen. You explained the entire process. And I watch you in the comments, engage with your, your, in all your platforms and try to help people. And that's something you don't see from people on social media. So it's, it's really a positive light. Thank you. I, I think for me with social media, the reason, so when I like first, I mean, if we're going to go really far back, my spiritual awakening actually happened at a hardcore show. I'm going to say, um, always been super intuitive 
always been super, you know, into this other stuff of myself, but I don't think I truly had a spiritual awakening until I was at a hardcore show and some like shit went down, whatever. Um, and then for me, it put me into almost a place where I was like, I need to get as far away from this world as possible. Like I need to go into hiding. Like this is what needs to happen. So on Instagram, especially my name is ALXMRCH on there because I didn't want anyone to find me. I never wanted anyone to find me on social media. I wanted to just stay away from everything that I grew up thinking was cool. And like, you know, I just wanted to stay far away uh, to protect myself. And then, you know, I wound up in, I, I had always been in abusive relationships like that, like looking back in my life, even relationships that I thought were like somewhat um, positive for my growth. Like it was positive for my own growth, but never because it was a good thing that had happened to me. It was always really terrible fucking things that have happened to me. And so I wound up in a relationship that um, it was a person that was really pretty well known in the tattoo um, scene. And he would use spirituality as a form of armor to engage people in. And, you know, that's what he did to me. And I saw somebody with a large following use it to be the most fake piece of shit alive um, peddling this words of affirmation and PMA and all this shit. And it was all a lie and he was an evil fucking person. And he was so abusive to me and, you know, leaving, I'm sure we're going to get, get more into like that or whatever, but like leaving that and deciding to speak my story out loud, because for so much of my life, I had been abused by these men, whether it be in fucking hardcore or working on warp tour or just the guys that I fucking dated like I was always put into silence no one ever had my back no one was ever on my side it was me versus just fucking old, like men that and I could never understand it it was like well what is wrong with me like why am I this easy target and when I took my power back and I started posting and saying like this is what a sociopathic relationship is like this is what a manipulative relationship is like so many women came out of it and were like, oh my God, that's me too. And I realized from that, them affirming to me that my story was also their story gave me the, the faith and confidence to move on and, and being genuine and being real in it. I don't know how to be any other way. If I'm having a bad day, I'll fucking say it. If I'm not ashamed to hide my darkness, my darkness is what gave me everything that I have. I love my shadow. I love my dark. I love, I'm, I'm very good friends with it, which a lot of us try to avoid it and hide it, put it somewhere. It comes up in triggers and we're like, nope, no, 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 no. I'm going to put it. But for me, social media has become something that I'm able to use that like, so people feel seen so that they know that, you know, I've had horrible things done to me. I've been sexually assaulted. I've been abused. I've been hit by partners before. And I share it so people don't feel like they're they're alone and they're in their own suffering. So yeah, roundabout social media for me, I just try to use it to, you know, if one person leaves an abuser or they feel understood or they're the same girl that was sitting at shows or whatever and guys would try and fucking force nude pictures out of and, and belittle and degrade and embarrass and social media like attacks of like blogs and this girl is it like, I just use it so people know that there's a safe place to go. It's an absolutely incredible thing to do. And I think it's one of the more empowering things I see people use social media for. And, you know, my own interaction with you, I can attest when we were at the height of being just absolute fucking hoodlum gang dudes, 
you were just this very dainty, small little teenage girl hanging around with a group of goons. And so I could imagine yeah. as you progress in hardcore that that kind of situation would be taken advantage of. Going into your past so we can start rock and rolling on the beginning of the foundation of what would be your badass story. Your father introduced you to martial arts at a very young age. Is that correct? Yes. So I, I started doing like, like fighting, like boxing and stuff. But my dad starting at like age four from the second that I could. Um, my dad had grown up his whole life training and, um, you know, I was supposed to be a boy, but I came out a girl, still a tomboy though. Um, and then around, yeah, seven is when I started into Taekwondo and I got my first degree black belt when I was 12, I was a competitive sparer, um, national champion. And I got my third Dan at 15 and then quit because life happened. But it was always the basis of, I think, my self-discipline in the fact that, like, I always knew that no matter what was happening to me, that fighting is the last possible resort for me anyway. You know, martial arts in that regard trains you that it's the last possible thing. Um, do I think that accidentally taught me how to be a little too passive in certain situations? Yes. Um, but I think it also protected me and others. Now, this was in uh, Taekwondo, but not like cheesy taekwondo like ass kicking taekwondo correct i was taught by a husband and wife that had trained in korea um my dad made sure because my dad was into to serious martial arts like around this time my dad had started training with the gracies and associates of the gracies my dad did something that's called a pachi combat that i don't even know what it is my dad was training in his basement with like these people like my dad is like a nunchuck like he's a psycho he's a psycho he just like, sounds like the, chuck norris it's great he's a true fighter like i still spar him he'll kick my ass every time um but he made sure that he found a school like he didn't want me in something that was going to be very violent so to speak he wanted me to learn the basics and he had told me that when i learned the basics and i had um really had that self-discipline then i was allowed to start krav maga with him and that's exactly what happened. And like, I would always like be around the BJJ guys in the nineties. And um, I remember just watching everyone grapple and like trying it. And, and it was just so new to me. And it was something that was just like, so cool to me seeing people on the ground because it's like, I love to wrestle with my dad when I was little. And I was like, oh my God, like you can wrestle and like really do this. And it was just, it was, I'm very gifted at kicks and top fighting, but like that was also like it mystified me. And then adding Krav Maga to it, like I just, I fell in love. I, I had never been more in love with something in my life. So you were completely embedded in karate and while well, karate, I'll say Taekwondo and you were competing. At what point does your interest like music start getting you to uh, eventually walk your way into your first hardcore show? So I remember being super little and I was never, so I was like raised on like Ozzy and Slayer and like uh, all bands like that. Like my first favorite song was um, Holy Diver by Ronnie James Dio. Like that was like my first reference of like music. So I was never into anything that was soft except for like the Spice Girls, but like, you know, I was little. Of course, I'm gonna like the Spice Girls, but I liked things that were like hard and I liked the guitar of it. And then I remember my best friend in third grade, her dad went to um, Warp Tour and it was when the year Eminem played. And then he introduced me 
to rage against the machine and even so with rage um what no spiritual surrender that um it was an inside out cover but then inside, but, yeah, yes. yeah 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 so all that so i got super into it i didn't know what they were saying i had no idea what was going on but i knew that like i was super super into it and then in school i i leaned i was afraid to lean more towards the kids that were in converse and and you know wearing hoodies with like bands on it but i knew that like that's what i was into like it's almost like i knew i liked hardcore and like that world without really knowing that i liked it i leaned towards the, those kids that crowd more and um i stopped wearing like guests trying to like fit in with everybody and then um i remember i went to my first hardcore show i don't even remember it was at there's a place out here or was um what is the fucking name of it? It was Birch Hill. Hell yeah. And I forget who even played, but my friend's mom dropped us off. And then from there, I started going to local shows where I w- I'm not going to necessarily call it hardcore. Was it more of a screamo scene? Yeah. Um, but it's definitely what made me like really dive more into the hardcore. Cause I remember when I first started like, and, and I'll never be able to tell you like the first bands really like it's I, I I blank out a lot of that period of my life it was like eighth grade to ninth grade that I started going to hardcore shows and then um I remember who fucking played it was I think my first band and I, I can't I can't even necessarily say that it's hardcore like I don't know around that time everyone was like this is grindcore this is metalcore this is this so I was just confused and 14 years old but um it was on broken wings terror and i forget who else played but watching a breakdown happen and being around that and then everyone just being so a part of like a feeling of music that i can't explain just drove me to this point where i never felt something physically like that in my body that just made more sense to me like that vibe, that energy, all of it just made sense to me. And from there I was hooked. I was at a hardcore show every weekend. Like I lived at Chrome. Yeah, it was a an interesting aspect of New Jersey hardcore and the, the venues in the area. So the Birch Hill was a bigger venue at, in Old Bridge, which had some really crazy shows. But the area shows were a lot like what you explained, where there was such a mix match of metalcore and all these different aspects of smaller shows so you could go to a show and you could see three or four technically different genre of bands all in one bill just to bring as many people as possible to that not quite new jersey shore but not in the center of new jersey part of new jersey that you're from like the whole route nine area and shit yeah for and for us it was not a far drive to head out that way and there were shows every weekend whether it was at the m&m hall which was like a little oh bit. Oh my God, M.M. Hall. Yeah, it was like a little and, bit. It was in the same area as the, uh, as Burchill, but yeah. it was like more of a DIY place. And then you mentioned Club Chrome, which when a lot of the stuff at the end of the 90s that we like were loved about New Jersey hardcore, the Brunswick shows kind of ended, the Middlesex shows ended, the obviously the pipeline ended, but there was Club Chrome. And that was like the real deal, legit venue, which we had a big room in the small room. And I felt like if I wasn't at Chrome at least two times a month, it was a weird, it was a weird month because there were so many shows and it was one of the bigger, it was one of the bigger places between New York and what comes South aside from Philadelphia, 
to see any of the tours. So there were so many fabulous shows that came through there. So you living at Chrome makes total sense because, again, that was like a every weekend, middle of the week. We were going to see the craziest shit. I see yeah, Rise Against Over the Strife. Yeah, like the big flyer, right? With all the, literally like 40 shows on it, right? It would be xsdb.com yep. or a flyer. Yeah, Miller. And yeah. And every Friday night, it would be my, one of my, be- either my best friend, Elise at the time, my best friend, Blair. They were older girls than me and hardcore that kind of brought me in under their wing. And it was, that's what we did. We went to Chrome, we went to the show and then we would leave and we would go to a diner and sit at a diner and eat and drink coffee all night. Like that, that was what we did and then and then um I remember when I heard Shadow Rome for the first time and that's when I really started getting into hardcore that's when I got into integrity when I got into disembodied I remember suffer the living I was like fuck this is so good like and then I started becoming friendlier with people in hardcore that got me into more bands when I was like when I would put like on broken wings or under oath on my list they're like oh no and then I'm like well Bane what about Bane they're like you're good you're good (laughs) it was like it it felt like I was going into a place that I belonged to where people were like sharing music with me and um really just wanting me to be a part of it and I remember being a younger girl that came from a toxic household and just like abuse and just all this stuff going into this place where there were like these men so to speak that kind of brought me under their wing and these older girls. And it just, it felt so safe to me. So it was very easy to be vulnerable. It was like, I found this music that just, it, it's a feeling to me. And even though there was like violence and fighting, which it, it, I, I'm not necessarily into, I was like, well, that's just, that's just the deal. Don't stand too close to the pit then. You know what I mean? Um, I remember I thought I was that cool girl that could just stand there with her arms crossed and be protected by everybody. Like if anyone came near me, they would get like a fucking bow to the face. Like, you know, I went through that phase where, you know, just to me, I just thought I was fitting in somewhere and I felt so cool. I remember I was 17 years old hanging out with people that are like top line and hardcore. I thought it was the coolest fucking thing that existed. Now, something that's <laughs> completely changed in this time is that, and and I remember it, it, it was at you, when you came into hardcore, there were more younger girls yeah. But now it seems like hardcore, especially online, is populated by so many young women and even teenage girls that if I think if you popped into a hardcore show now, you'd be mind blown that, you know, compared to your beginnings, how many, how sparse there even was girls your age. I mean, there was older women that stayed oh in hardcore. God, yeah. Can you, can you kind of like uh, give me your um, your experiences walking in and realizing just how few females were involved in hardcore at the time. It was, there were not many girls at all. And I was having this thought the other day that some of my girlfriends that I knew that were in hardcore, you know, they were there showing up and I'm still friends with so many of these women Um, or later in life kind of like came together. Like I, I had a girl that she was one of the girls that I would say I was definitely afraid of. Um, Cause all the girls moshed. There wasn't necessarily like, I never did because like, I I just, I never would, no offense to anybody, but like they would come there in basketball shorts and like hate breed tops and like backwards hats and just start moshing with the dudes. And they were like built like that. And, you know, it was really intimidating. There was, there was never necessarily, I'm going to say 
girls now and like you see it on the internet they're like these these really really cute like younger girls and and that wasn't really what the the draw was when I was going um it was few and far between and if there was a girl that I guess not necessarily looked like me um but kind of looked more girly at a hardcore show she would be picked on by the girls that weren't necessarily as girly if that makes sense um it was definitely like a this is my world and stay out of it like this is where I go to let my shit out this is where I go you know go back to you know pop punk or wherever you came from um now it's so yeah now it's like you you see all these girls that are like you know so pretty and like can do their I remember if I wore makeup the way that like you know girls are empowered to wear it now then I would have been bullied I was terrified I was terrified to wear anything but a t-shirt like I had t-shirt I had giant gauges like I just you know I fit the part I didn't want to stand out too much because that would attract attention but I was just there to enjoy the music and like now it's like these cute girls in like incendiary hoodies and I'm just like that's it's just so crazy to me that if I was to go walk into a hardcore show right now the girls that I guess all know each other wouldn't know who I am when back in the day like everyone knew who I was not in like some narcissistic way not like everyone knew who I was but like at a local hardcore show I knew everybody yeah there were so few and I mean you stuck out obviously because you are under five foot six (laughs) you know when you were when you're young and there was definitely some oh shit moments when shit would go down and I would literally be like, uh oh, where's, you know, because there's very few girls you want to make sure where the hell are the young girls are they, you know, especially when it'd be like 25 people beating up half the crowd. You want to make oh, sure. Oh, but know, I like, remember that um, Shattered Realm played, I want to say Shattered Realm played in Irvington. It was yeah, Cricket, Cricket Club. Club. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, the Cricket Terror Club, Club, the Terror Unearth show was, yeah. that was a show that really, stands out in infamy and you know at one point we're in the midst of chaos but there was still always that thought in my head like okay are our people are good are our people safe because it just got that out of control so experiences that you have had from hardcore seem to be positive at first and then i remember because of touring and then later on um you started engaging more in the actual working with bands and eventually kind of like juxtaposed either the band touring happened first, then the tattoo, or they kind of started at the same time. How did, how did, how did you go? How did you kind of go from just being a show goer to be a more working with bands and such, I should say is asking. So I want to say I was 17 and the guy that my friends got tattooed by that when I turned 18 shortly after I was going to have to start tattooing me. Um, <clears throat> he was also a dude that was heavy into hardcore. Um, one random day he's just like hey do you want to do a tattoo on my leg and i was like yeah sure and um it turned out well i apprenticed under him um got thrown out on my ass for reasons that i don't even want to fucking get into um and then a lot of it had to do with because i started dating a guy in hardcore and he was he didn't like it so of course got thrown out on my ass yay um after me and that dude like ended is when I started like bands would be like, Hey, do you want to do my merch? Innocent. Do you want to do my merch? You know, now in retrospect, realizing it was like, Oh, there's this younger fucking girl, like heading the merch. Like 
of course people are going to flock to it, whatever. So started doing merch for bands and things like that. Um, I was always, I'm going to use the word prude. <laughs> like, I guess people would expect me to be a certain way. And I just like was not into it. And then um, it would be met with like kind of aggression or people being mean to me. And that was, I, I, I guess, a, a, a scary thing for me. Um, I was, you know, still tattooing, doing stuff like that. To me, I was on top of the world, though, because I'm tattooing people. You know, I'll start tattooing these people. People are coming to me for tattoos. Um, and then I got the strangest email of my life um, asking me if I wanted a position to work on Warp Tour. And um, where did that email come from? A guy had been friends with me on Facebook and thought because I was a tattoo artist and because um, I just seemed really friendly, I would be good to do interviews on the tour. Copy that. Okay. I didn't know the person personally, but I took a meeting and, you know, I was hired. <clears throat> Next thing I know, I'm living on a tour bus. And of course, somehow out of this, God knows hundreds of people on this tour, I gravitate towards the two people that are in the LA hardcore scene. I'm like, I'm shocked, of course. Um, but yeah, then I started working with bands and working on the tour. And I, it's, you know, I thought it was like the coolest thing ever. I just, I thought I was so cool. I was like, this is the coolest thing. Like I'm, I'm actually hanging out with people that I look up to, like bands I've listened to forever. Like I'm side stage for fucking every time I die you know, and it had just become a lifestyle for me at that point. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like, a, oh my God, like fangirling. It was just like, yeah, I'm side stage. I work on this fucking tour. Like everyone knows me like, cool. Um, but that, that part of it came very after, I would say when I stopped going to hardcore shows and then I would just listen to it on my own terms and time. Um, yeah, between there, I'd stopped tattooing, started. I met my ex-fiance, who was the tattoo artist. Like, I, I re-emerged myself in it. I've had 100 lives, I said. Yeah, so um, linearly, I, I remember you were at shows, hanging out. Obviously, because we, it was the beginning of, like, what came after MySpace and into Facebook and then later Instagram, there'd be pictures of you at laminates and working, and you were beginning to tattoo, and, and I knew that you were tattooing. And obviously hardcore shows have kind of tainted you. So you weren't really social and hanging out in that world. Do you feel that what we'll talk about further later was already impacting you in a negative way? Like the negative, the negative interaction you had from the people around hardcore was already kind of like pushing you to not even feel comfortable at shows at that time. Yeah. I stopped feeling comfortable at shows. Okay. Um, I was met with a lot of, Oh, you don't want to date me. Oh, you don't want to do this with me. Oh, I was nice to you. You you owe me this. Oh, you you were flirtatious. You you're asking for it. And me saying no and getting death threats, um, getting bulletins posted about me on MySpace about being a giant whore and sleeping with everybody, which I never did. Um, being taunted, being threatened. It was a fucking nightmare. All because I I I, I just I was not. I I've never, you know, really. I've never slept around. It was just not of interest to me. And um, there was more of a fear of being called a whore 
even if, even if I did, even if I liked somebody and like, you know, it was my choice or decision, I had seen how they would treat like girls that would like bang the guys in bands. I was friends with these guys. Like I was friends and I was like, I never want to be like that. I don't want them to do it to me. So it was like, damned if I do, damned if I don't. Me saying no just led to almost like worse. So I was pretty fucking tainted and, and kind of a little gun shy. Like when I would hear certain bands or hear certain names, it would, there would definitely be like a, uh, just get me as far away from that as fucking possible. And that's where the whole pop punk and your different social aspects, which allegedly leads to Warped Tour. Yeah. Going into the pop punk world was more safe. And there was still like, it was, you know, you're around Newfound Glory and all that, which isn't foreign when you're into hardcore. Like there's a lot of the pop punk that isn't foreign. It, it kind of, everyone's friends, it goes hand in hand. It was just a safer world for me. Um, no one knew who I was. It, it was just safer. I just felt like I could be a better version of myself. I it's, interesting, it's interesting that you could actually like change. Not you can't change, but you can change your scenery within a music scope that is kind of, they're parallel to each other, but you're taking one step over and you get to start fresh again. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah, because also, I mean, working on Warped Tour, being at a pop punk show, I can't have a guy pretend he's moshing and try to bash my face in who is 400 pounds bigger than me. In general, what do you think <laughs> that you learned about Warped Tour versus hardcore as cultures? They're the same. One just keeps it a bit more quiet. In what regard? Any sort of, and, and this is the thing, like, I love that now in my 30s, I'm I, like, I'm excited to go back to this is hardcore. I'm excited to go to shows and 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 re-interact with people that are good and have my best interests at heart and are just like good, genuine people to my soul and to my heart. And like, remember, like I was never a problem. I was just somebody that was just trying to feel safe with like men that were kind of tough and felt like they would protect me. Um, but like where there was bad and there was people taking advantage a bit of girls that were underage or knowing that somebody was underage or knowing that somebody has insecurity issues, being able to smell out the mommy issues or the daddy issues, the codependency, the um, need to people please, being able to see that a girl's afraid to say no or knowing that you, somebody has a notoriety or they have some sort of fame that um, you can make a girl that's a bit younger be like, oh, well, I guess I should do it. Like I look up to this person in this band, like why would he want to hurt me? His music has saved me, it's helped me. Um, it's a both, it's people taking where somebody feels safe with them and may open up to them and allow their vulnerability or be like, your music has helped me so much and they use it to fucking take advantage of them. And that is something you said. Or like it may even be, and you know, on warp Tour, so many precautions were taken in to completely protect women. Like they did an amazing job. Can you list some of them? Just because I've always been, I've always wondered how uh, internally an organization like Warp Tour, which draws so many absolutely underage girls, yeah, manages to keep themselves from yearly lawsuits. And I know that we spoke on the phone and you like kind of touched on, but it kind of be cool to hear people listen to the back end of some of the precautions that they would take. Basically, if you were a piece of shit and you were called out on something, 
it was not taken as like a lightly thing. It wasn't like a, well, separate the artist from the action, which a lot of fucking people say, which is such a cop out to be a fucking piece of shit. But um, it was very like, okay, you're kicked off the tour. People are going to be tweeting about this. Your reputation is going to go down the shit. Like this is what's going to happen. You're never going to come back from this. The community itself was good at protecting its own. Like the um, people who were on tour as a community. Yeah. Okay, copy. The people, the good guys were really good at staying the good guys. And then it was just, it was basically a rule. Anyone under 18 or no, it was anyone under 21 is not allowed at the buses. And it was very much every like bus had, I guess, I guess a captain that it was like, yeah, if you see this happening, like call it out. And everyone was just like, yeah, our world is not going to get ruined because people want to be like this. Um, but I do think in the in the pop punk aesthetic, not even just Warped Tour and not even ju- just that that scene, it's just the, the music is more emotional. <laughs> Emo. <laughs> um, I hate myself. Uh, <laughs> so the people, girls especially, connect to it more. They're like, oh, I'm going through this breakup with this person. And, you know, they find them. There was uh, on Twitter in the last year, all these people getting exposed for what they're doing and like knowing girls were underage and all the shit. And they they think that they're just going to get away with it because they kind of always have because the fans help them. The fans don't stand up. The fans help people get away. They're, you know, you have a lot of people are the friends of the, the person that does the horrible act. Or like, well, that's my friend. He's never done anything personal to me. Or it's just hearsay from her. What female, and yes, there are, there are females that will bullshit. And that is what ruins everything. That is what puts the blood in the fucking water with it all. But what woman wants to be vilified by a whole scene of people just to say this person did this to me? I never came out about shit. I think I had just started telling you now at 32 years old, what was really happening to me because it was, it was, it's too scary. It's too scary to come out and be a target for people and have them be like, you're a liar when you know exactly what happened to you. And it's like, oh, you're just reinforcing the abuse that happened to me. One of the things, one of the things that you mentioned to me on the phone, which really killed me was that like, and I, and you know, I, we're going to keep names and stuff out just because it's easier Mm -hmm. for both parties. And I can, as a person who is around band members and people all the time, there's an interaction that takes place where my focus was on being at the show, being a fucking goon. And I was equally oblivious to some of the side dealings of this absolutely predatorial mentality. And something I said to you is no one ever came to us when bragging about like conquests or hookups. It was like, Oh, I totally manipulated the situation and did all that. Like you only hear, Oh, I got with the girl or I did this. You never, and you don't hear details. No one's really that it's just like, Oh, wow, you hooked up with her? And, and because the retribution of someone was saying, oh, yeah, I completely manipulated this 16-year-old girl over the last six months and, you know, forced her to do something, we would just beat him with a fucking hammer. You know, yeah. like, we we have sisters, we have daughters. You know, we didn't play that shit with the people that we care about. So you, I yeah. felt foolish when we spoke on the phone and you were telling me things because I wasn't able to help you at that time. And it's something that still but fucks you know me. What at a time that I truly, and this always stuck out to me in my head, and we're having like real conversations here. We're not putting on a yeah. show for anybody. You and I are very real people. At a time when I fucking needed somebody, you knew me, but you didn't know me enough to fucking stand up for me the way that you did. And you did. And that stuck in my head for the rest of my life. That for the rest of my life, anytime I was around someone in hardcore, that even if I had a word to say about you, I would shut it the fuck down 
instantly and say, you don't know him. I don't care about your story. Leave it. That will always be a friend of mine. Like that stood out to me for my whole life. Not one person that claimed to be my friend stood up for me, but you and I are acquaintances and like say hi and bye in passing and like know each other, but don't really know each other. Like you had my back because you have a daughter. You know what I mean? Like you, it's, it's, I, I literally was on the phone hysterical with you scared for my life. Yeah. And that's what we're supposed to do. Like the, the, the part you said about being able to find a place when, you know, we're all, we are all the scattered children of bad situations for the most part. Yeah. And hardcore is the landing pad for so many of us who had terrible childhoods, horrible homes to be at, you know, didn't have places to lay our head every single night. So when you come and you become part of us, I don't have to know you back and forth. I don't have to know your middle name. If you call me crying and tell me what's going on, I have to stand for you because you are with us. And yeah. everything that we stand for depends upon people like you being protected. And it just hurts that I'm not able to ever know how many times I could have did something, but I wasn't aware of what happened. And that's. But you never would have been aware because I was too afraid to tell anybody. Yeah. It's no just, one would have been aware. It was yeah. very like, I'm going to, and and now, you know, years later, I, I, I still deal with the feelings that it gives me. Um, I, I, you know, I sit and I'm just like, and I blame myself and I'm like, well, you put yourself in that situation. And then I cut that. And I'm like, how were you supposed to know any better? How, how is somebody that comes from a traumatized childhood, just as somebody, if you saw violence in at home, say you saw your mother get hit by your dad and you're a boy and you go into hardcore and you just start beating dudes left and right. That is a projection of what you can't do at home. Women getting into this, you know, and wanting to be around these men that feel tough may not have ever felt safe. And then they're being accepted by somebody and then being groomed by them to feel special. And then, so they think they don't know any better. No one was there to give them positive boundaries and tell them, this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. It's so much more psychological. It's literally, it goes into into your amygdala, it goes into your sympathetic nervous system where you're hardwired that when you get that acceptance, you're just like, well, I owe them something for this because I've never felt accepted. So whatever they say I need to do, they're older than me or they're, they have this hierarchy than me, like, oh, okay, then, then this is what I need to do for them to stay accepting of me. For me, it was more scary to get thrown out by hardcore and the life that I like loved being a part of and just staying silent about everything it was just, it was scarier to, to think about not being a part of it. So I just, you know, you, you keep your mouth shut. That's such a, I know we're going to get into this even further because the, your breakdown on that, just even that is something that because of the conversations that happen on social media are limited to really get into the woods of some of these things, but it's that breakdown is why I'm having you on the show because you could break these little things down that only someone from your position and what you've encountered and how you deal with this every day can break down for us so yeah walking into walking into the warp tour as a fan all you see is the stages and you yeah. see the people massive crowds yeah there's the meet and greets and you know you don't really see the vans and the buses yeah. and i know at one point they changed it one of the year they made it only buses you can't have vans anymore yeah and one of the coolest things that you said was that as a community within the vans there was rules and you don't really see that 
elsewhere. And you don't actually hear too many people talk about that kind of like internal policing. And so yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you um, alliterate that for people because it seemed that sometimes when people get called out who were a part of Warp Tour, that it was just a free for all. So I'm glad that you have, you know, kind of corrected that, that situation. Yeah, to take that even deeper. So there was one instance, I was dating somebody that was in a Warp Tour band. I have nothing but respect and love for it for the rest of my life. Um, someone in another band, they had a group chat going. He, he found my social media and like sent a picture of me to make fun of me. To be like, oh, she's into the spiritual shit, blah, 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 which every girl and their mother now does tarot. Like, it's it's not crazy. I, I don't do tarot, but like spirituality, that's like a very common thing right now. Um, I was learning Reiki when I was 17, scared to death that anyone would find out and make fun of me. But he didn't know that my ex was in the group chat. And then that's when everyone was like, oh, this dude that thinks that he could get away with anything in this band is like bullying her. She's the kindest person ever. And I was working with another high profile band that definitely is more hardcore than it is pop punk. And um, we had like a, a mutual friends or whatever, you know, it was just a really good camp, good camp of people. And they stuck up for me. No one stuck up for me, but these people that don't know me, like they're, they're what their TM that doesn't know me from a hole in the wall was like, yo, you're bullying this girl for what being herself. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Why do you think you could do that? And I remember even then I'm like, damn, even on Warped Tour doing like the right thing for people. Someone's trying to come at me and make fun of me only now later in life. Like that shit isn't going to bother me. It's like, really? That's what you're doing while you're laying in bed. You're looking at my Instagram being weird. And think you're going to make fun of me? Like, buddy, I made a career off the internet and I do great things. You're, I'm unbreakable now with this stuff. But it's just, it's just, it, we, you had the people that didn't even have to know you. It was just like, yeah, I'm going to stand up against the shitty person because people were just so appreciative of the tour and, and what the creators like did for them and gave them a place to grow and become these bands um, that they were like, nope, nope, nope. So it was just, it was cool that somebody, I, it was crazy that I do re-experience stuff like that again. It was definitely triggering for me. I was like, oh, cool. We're back in hardcore, huh? Like, uh, are we going to have a message board about me next? Um, but no, somebody that, and the kid was scared shitless of the person that stood up for me. So that was pretty cool. Now, when you exited Warp Tour, where, where were your pursuits? Did you get back into martial arts or are you still just now really focusing on tattooing and the beginning of that bad relationship. What did you do so, after Warp Tour? My first year on Warp Tour was 2012. I did it a few years after, um, up until 2016. My first year on Warp Tour, right after I got off of it, I was involved in dating a dude in hardcore. It did not turn out very well. Um, and then I met my ex-fiance, the sociopath. So shortly after him is when I was pretty much done tattooing. Now, and I wasn't allowed on Warped Tour that year. He forbid, forbid me. Um, that word gets thrown around a lot. And my personal experience with sociopathic behavior mm -hmm. is that me personally, I understand that the amount of violence and just apathy that we needed to have to be able to use extreme violence on people at any given moment will definitely block out some emotions that you really need to have at home. And I could say yeah. to you, because you'll understand this best and to people listening, because I've kind of grown to be a little bit more emo and able to open up. I don't believe 
that you can be in a crew and a gang of dudes or whatever the fuck you're into fighting three or four nights a week. And I'm not talking about kicking some kid at a show. I'm talking about we're out at bar smashing people in the face. We're on the corner in the street getting in the legit gang shit. It was hard for me to come home and turn the switch off emotionally and show yeah. love or feel love or feel emotions. And I, and I went through therapy later on. I'm kind of explaining, well, that was in a completely sociopathic scenario that lasted quite a few years where yeah. a whole aspect of my life, I couldn't feel, I couldn't feel everything I needed. And worse, I couldn't show empathy. I and, didn't have And that's it. also though disassociation. Absolutely. That's like being completely disassociated and you're living from the trauma self. So your inner child, your traumatized self is in the driver's seat. You're not in the driver's seat of what's going on. There's so much pent up rage that's exploding everywhere else. It's like, well, this is the only way I know how to show what I'm feeling inside. No, it's, Men and, aren't and, taught to cry. Men aren't taught to talk about their feelings or cry to them. That's weak. So what do men do for the most part? It's anger fighting you know you go into that realm of it where women cry get you know they're like oh i'm feeling this like men aren't allowed to do that they are but technically speaking they're not given or granted that permission very often i never felt permissible to have uh any visible emotions besides anger happiness maybe some laughter yeah but um crying is still hard for me and i I don't try. I don't, I try to cry. I don't try to cry, but like weird, weird movies will trigger some quick immediate emotions from me. But when you say sociopathic, I immediately only can understand the anger and the violence aspect of sociopathic behavior. But I know that you can take it one step further. So can you kind of explain a little bit of like some telltale sociopathic behaviors for people who are like, is this dude I'm talking to a sociopath? Um, well, I mean, so one, I'm going to say before anyone comes in and is like, I'm a therapist and you can't say that I live through it. I can say whatever I want. There are narcissists, there are sociopaths, there are just toxic people. There's abusive people. My situation, it was the most charming person I've ever met in my life. Charming to the point where I was freaked out. There's something about them and narcissists. It's different. It's narcissists is very like it's it's the beginning with these people are very similar. It's they they move really quick. You guys are soulmates instantly. Like those are commonalities. Um, but anything that I researched and I researched this the last six months I was with this guy, I knew that there was something off. And then someone sent me an article and it was like 10 signs you're dating a sociopath. I never even heard that word before. And every single one of them is true. No empathy, no empathy, gaslighting. So me and this motherfucker would cuddle on the couch every night that we were together. Well, one, we were living together within five days. Two, he was significantly older than me. That's not necessarily a telltale sign, but you know, it, it helps the cause. Three, he kept tabs on me for a long time. So he would ask me things about my childhood and things about my life and then kind of like disappear. Um, And you come later on in life to realize that they were trying to figure out the best way to manipulate you. Um, Really just like grandiose gestures of love. Like I was engaged within five months. Like we had the house in North Carolina, a house in Philly. 
Um, I was living the dream, but there was something just so off. And like, when I was like, Hey, we cuddle every night. He's like, no, we don't. And I'm not a cuddly person. He accused me of being molested by my father because I wasn't into cuddling. Um, and so I forced myself to be into cuddling to like, kind of, you know, make him happy. And then he turned it around on me and was like, are you that insecure that you need me to cuddle you all the time? So I felt insane. My whole reality was getting smeared in my head. Um, it was, it, it was little things like that. It was, um, just the, the blatant lying about weird stuff. I realized he did not have empathy. And from what I've c- come to understand about research, sociopaths, um, only know control and manipulation. They do not know how to experience love. Like there's a part in their brain that, um, it could be from childhood abuse. I don't really know the logistics of it, but a part of their brain shuts down and they only know control, um, manipulation, power, greed. And that is all the only emotions that I saw this person ever have, or they would get anger when you told him no, like if he didn't get his own way, whew. like I told him he wasn't more famous than Adam Levine. And he darted up the stairs and slammed the doors and talked to me for four hours and told me I was abusive. Um, it's crazy lies. Like, and, and, and they, they turn you against your family and your friends because they want you all to themselves. They convince you your friends are crazy. Your parents are crazy. Um, your friends are jealous of them. Um, he would hit the dog if I wouldn't get out of bed. And that was my like number one of like, you don't hit an innocent animal. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, it was like, this person has zero empathy. Um, you know, as to where I've dated narcissistic people where they, they do have emotions and they do have empathy. It's just, it's different. It's very, very different. But this was somebody that to his core, there's nothing there. There is no sense of love, compassion. It was always cold and calculated and his eyes were dark and there was nothing there. Um, I remember we saw you in a supermarket and I watched him change into character and become somebody else. I'm like, who the fuck are you putting on a show in front of? And that's another thing I saw. You never know who they are. They're different in front of everybody. Yeah, I remember it was right before this crazy ass storm. Yeah. And I seen you and him and I was like, oh shit, they live in my neighborhood. They're at my, they're at my corner. They're at like our grocery store before the fucking hurricane or whatever's coming. And I, I personally took away from the experience. Something that has only sat with me a couple of times is I've seen my friends cheating on girls out and they act a different way when they're like with the girl they're not supposed to be with. Like, Hey, huh? Hey, what's going on, man. And like, he did a lot to put distance between like, like you had to be at least 10 feet away from me while he and I talked and we're like mm-hmm. in the milk section. And I was like, that's weird. Cause I was with Jess and I'm like, Hey, we're like, Hey, what's up? How you guys doing? Yeah. But you had to be 10 feet away from us. And that was like, like a, that was a bizarre, like, Oh, he doesn't even, like, you're not even like, we're not even let across this threshold. Like you were in your own little bubble, man. It was very odd. Um, and I think that was his way of basically like saying to me, because I wasn't allowed to be friends with any men. And from me saying hi to you, he saw and realized because he was like fake into punk rock. He wasn't really ever into any of that. Um, he would pretend and cause everything was an act and a fucking lie. Um, but I think in him seeing that I knew you, it was like, oh shit, I fuck girls in hardcore. 
that he may know, oh, he may help her empower herself through this. It was basically, you were a lifeline that I saw in saying hi to, and he saw that as a threat and he had to cut it right there. Because if I had anything that made me remember myself or feel like myself, he had to destroy it. It wasn't allowed to be. I feel like one of the things that we talked on the phone about, I wanted you to kind of get into you said to me he interacted with you immediately and said something that like we uh, we had tied to something else remember you said like he had a dream about you or something can you can you explain that to me or explain it to people listening because that it kind of gets us into our next conversation oh yeah he i just flown down to north carolina and he was like i had a dream last night it was five years in the future we were just so happy together. Like, I can't believe I finally found my soulmate. Like I, I, you're, you're, I've been dreaming of you my whole life. You're my dream girl. I just, you know, I was just waiting for you. And then he showed me a picture of me that he had saved on his phone from me four years previous to that. And I thought it was creepy, but I was still young enough to be like, Oh man, this dude really loved me for this long. Like Hold that's on. creepy. Walk, walk this, walk me through this. He had a picture of you. That was four years old that he saved and yeah. he told you he dreamt of you. And he, that five- he told me that he saw me on the internet. He saved that picture and he had been, this was the girl I've been dreaming about my whole life. I found her. And then he was like, and then we found each other on the internet. And I just, I, I know we're going to be together forever. Like you're my person. But what happened is he just went on my fucking Facebook and found a picture from four years before that. So when we spoke on this, I said kind of not jokingly, but mostly serious that that's like cult leader level personalities. Yeah. And it seems to be that this high charisma, easygoing social, social behavior is the hallmark of what draws so many people into these very insulated communities, such as a cult where the person engages immediately with this irreverence of like, you know, magnanimity, like, oh, this is the most amazing person I've ever met. Yeah. How could he be a liar? Look how radiant he is with goodness. And that's really how some of some of this starts. Now, a lot of your work that goes online, you're helping people through trauma and working out things. Do you see this as a reoccurring theme where people that have been abused have run into their abusers in these absolutely ridiculously charismatic characters yes so there are a lot of them a lot of women in the the spiritual community which i've actually gotten more women from hardcore that fall into um failed cult leaders we call them like these men that are just like oh my god you're so special i'm the only person that could help you i'm here to save you um they give themselves that like god complex and and women What's the easiest way to control a woman? Make sure she's vulnerable and make sure she's sad and make sure she's desperate and she'll believe anything, make her feel special. That's all she wants. So a lot of these women, they find these men that kind of hang out in areas where it's easy to find women like that. So especially spirituality and they kind of wrap them in and pull them in and then convince them like, Oh, I have these other girlfriends and like, convince them to be out of their character because they're taking over their brain where they don't have a sense of self. Um, Promising them these things or using fear tactics 
like basically being like, I'm the only one that could help you. And the universe has brought you to me for a reason. And if you go against me, something bad's going to happen. It's a lot of false superficial charm. It's a lot of like, oh, well, he's helping that girl out. I must be bad. Like he's being mean to me. It must be my fault. It's, it's, you're creating this self-blame. So these, these women are wanting to prove themselves and like go above and beyond and, and do these things to, to create the approval. And so like, for me, like my ex, he told me very early on, he was like, yeah, I was Alistair Crowley in a past life. And I'm like, like Mr. Crowley, like the Aussie song. Like, <laughs> First thing I I'm don't like, have to answer. Yeah. I'm like, Mr. Crowley, like what yeah. the fuck? I had no idea who this person like was. And then I remember I was in Salem, Massachusetts and I found this book and it was like the book of nine or the book at some shit. The book of law. And I was like, okay. And I bought it for him as a gift, but then I started reading it and I was like, yep. Oh my God. The beast himself. And then it started making, it started confusing me. Cause I'm like, this man is telling me that he loves this man and he thinks he was him in a past life, but this guy goes very against what he preaches on the internet. And it became a little scary for me because he was, um, he would say to me like, Oh, next time we sleep together, like I need to manifest this magazine cover because you're actually magic with your energy and I need to steal it from you. And I remember being like, Okay, I did not sign up for this. I, like, but it, I, I was already that brainwashed by him because the, however he got himself into my psyche, he did. And I was just looking for like that love, like that person that just like kind of, I guess, gave me the, the uh, oxytocin because I was at that point running on cortisol. It was like, I need to please him. I need to please him. Oh my God, if he disapproves of me, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And it's, it's, I think that these people study cults. I really do. And I, 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 there is one spiritual practitioner I'm doing air quotes, um, that was exposed because they, the, the people that used to work with this woman, they were like, she's obsessed with cults. She reads everything she can about cults, every way of, mastering manipulation every way of getting into somebody's head and she uses these principles to get into people spiritually so now she has people living on her commune worshiping her guising it as spiritual healing so obviously there's parallels in so many senses that go along with the cultish small subculture behavior between hardcore punk and spirituality did it as you were engaging and being more in the spiritual world with the different people that find it how did the parallels for you cross over from hardcore to the spiritual circles like did you see the same kind of people find them for the same reason like abusive behaviors at home yes okay and i i'm almost i'm very grateful that it was what kind of stopped me from falling for anything in the spiritual shit like, granted, I couldn't, like, being with douchebag, that was a part of my path, and it's done nothing but do good for the rest of the world. So, um, me then, I would never say that I'm grateful for it, but me now, I've done enough of the work, I've empowered myself, I've done the healing, that I I can be grateful for it. Um, same in my time in hardcore, then I was traumatized. <laughs> like, I was fucking traumatized. 
me now, I'm grateful for everything that I learned and through what I saw people doing. Cause I would even see people talking to other girls and the things that they would say. And I'm like, that's what you said to me. Like, um, and then going into spirituality and like men would like DM me and be like, Oh, I, I had a dream about us and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. You did not have a dream about us. You psychopath. You're just trying to rope me in so you can control me. And then in spirituality, it becomes very sexual too. Like men will be like, I need to watch you pleasure yourself. And that's the only way you're going to heal. And if you don't let me heal you, you're never going to heal. And you're cursed for the rest of your life. Like a lot of threats, a lot of manipulation, a lot of I, 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 I'm the only person that can do this for you. And then we'll convince these women to rope in other women to bring them into it. It's just, it's fucking crazy. It's really, it's, it's spirituality. God damn it. I love it. It saved my life, but holy shit. There's, but there's trash in anything. So something that I know that you probably see it on my internet, but I know that you don't have context to is that I am involved in a medievalism slash LARP culture. Mm-hmm. And there's so many cult like personality figures. And one of the aspects that has run with the community for a long time was the polyamorous multi-partner thing, which is the only time until the last three years that I've ever heard people talk about multi-partners and stuff like this. And everything that you just said about like uh, the way that people can rope people in and get people to do things. My, my whole thing is, is whether it was hardcore punk spirituality or even weird sword fighting people wear medieval clothes. There's all the, there's always this person who has this, what you think is magnetism and you think it's goodness and radiance, but it's true, pure evil in the form of manipulation. Yeah. And then you feel like an asshole for not liking the person that everyone adores. I I feel like the asshole in hardcore for that, because someone's like, this guy could shit cold cufflinks. And I'm like, I don't know. Let's dial this back. You know, like there's always a, yeah. a mortal side to people and there's an easy, whatever shines brightest or whatever the new shiny thing is, everyone clamors towards it. Yeah. And uh, I've always been kind of nervous about that. And I feel that in the modern day with so many internet call outs, it was important to kind of bring you on because you have seen, survived, helped people. You actually helped people that your ex had abused, which in the normal world of like, oh, well, you know, you don't see a female interact in a positive way with someone's ex-girlfriends. And you've managed to yeah. be this, you've managed to be this like supportive beacon of healing and light. And I wanted to kind of get into your own progress from being someone who was traumatized to someone who learned how to heal and then how you turned your own light onto others and help people. Oh man, where do we begin? Start at the end of that. And I think that's probably the, like, however it ended and then roll into how yeah. you, how you healed. So the end of that relationship, I remember I felt afraid to leave. I was very afraid to leave. I would slowly pack my car at night um, when he was sleeping. Um, because my my final straw was like, I, I, I was coming home and my shit was hid under the bed. And I'm like, why is my stuff under the bed? And he's like, oh, I was cleaning. He was not fucking cleaning. And then my I, w- I was like, I'm paranoid. My pillow would smell like somebody else. And I'm like, I swear to God, my pillow smells like somebody else. And he's like, you're crazy. Like, how could that be? What did someone break into the house and sleep in our bed? I'm like, no, I, I, there's something, 
get a fucking email from a girl. Hey, he used to hide all your stuff. And one day he slipped up and didn't hide your curling iron. Thank you. Knew it. Um, he would come home with glitter on him. It was just like, it, it was, it was him just being so awful and like saying things to me like, Hey, did you clean today? And me being like, yeah, I clean every day. And him being like, you know, you're, you're a liar and I'm going to take care of this for you. Obviously I need to take care of you. You can't take care of yourself. You're just too young. Um, so don't worry. I got it. And I'm just like, you know what? Like I had hit this point where I was just like, you know, I don't know what love is, but I know what love isn't. And love does not live here because love should not feel like this. It absolutely should not feel like this. And I don't know how I did it. It was almost like there was a force inside me that was bigger than me and stronger than me that no matter how much I wanted to stay in this fucking trauma bond, um, I, I had to go. I couldn't do it. So I reached out to his ex-girlfriend and I was like, hey, you owe me nothing. You literally owe me nothing. Um, but I want to know that I'm not alone. Am I crazy? Is it me? Because he's done a great job of convincing myself that this is all my fault, like that I caused this, that he treats me like this because of this. And I got a huge email back about like same situation, like validating me. So that's when I knew I had to go. It was done. I, I had also got a kidney infection because um, he was having sex with so many girls in Philly that I had gotten a bacterial infection that I didn't know about that spread to my kidneys. Um, it was bad. It was really, really bad. So I left and I knew that the only way I wouldn't get back with him is if I told every single one of my friends, everyone I cared about. And I posted a picture of his ex-girlfriend on my Instagram and said, we have so much in common. Thank you for saving me. I got hundreds of comments. When I say you could go back to this post, hundreds upon thousands of comments from people that are like, I knew he was evil. I knew this. I'm so happy two beautiful souls found each other. Da, 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 da. For me in that situation, I knew he knew his power over me. He knew his trauma bond over me. He knew his manipulation over me. He knew how to reel me back in. He knew how to make me blame myself. He had studied me for long enough. He knew everything about my psychology. Um, and being hyper aware in that and knowing that this was not love and knowing that this was fucking Stockholm syndrome, I chose to do something that if I went back, what would I be doing? Like I, I would never be able to be on the internet again. I would look like a fucking idiot. I needed to do that. I knew that that's what would work for me. So I started getting hundreds of comments. And then this one girl is like, I was at the Philadelphia tattoo convention. I overheard him outside saying that you cheated on him and you did all this horrible shit to him. And he did everything for you and paid for you for everything, which I wasn't allowed to fucking work or pay for everything. I kind of wanted you to alliterate that a little bit because I remember when we we reconnected a couple of years back and you kind of explained to me, you're like, you weren't just doing this out of love and sex, but you were literally controlled. Oh, like yeah. You were financially, you're like financially in like not allowed to even have a job or do your thing. Yeah, I wasn't allowed to. We we tattooed at the same shop and then that became a problem. Um, I would try and pay for meals because like, I don't know, I I. I I love gentlemen, but I also, you know, I, I, I love my independence enough to know that like, Hey, all right, you paid for dinner last night. I'll get tip. All right. I'll pay for dinner tonight. You get tip. Like, you know, just very even exchange. I, I love that kind of energy exchange. Um, when it's not equal down the middle, I, whatever. Um, but just 
I like to pay for dinner sometimes. Hey, I appreciate you. You work really hard. You take care of us. Let me do this for you. Um, and he would like threaten me, get really aggressive at me, leave me places, leave me at restaurants, knowing I didn't have a car. I didn't have a car in Philly. I didn't have a car in North Carolina. I was like, I was stuck. And having me live in North Carolina, how am I going to leave? We're in the middle of the mountains. Who's going to drive me to the airport? How am I going to get money to get a plane ticket? How am I going to leave? I can't. And um, he, everything, he controlled everything. He controlled my bedtime, what I ate. If we went out to eat and I ordered a grilled cheese, he would look at the waitress and say, I'm so sorry. She doesn't know how to order for herself. She needs salad because she hasn't been eating healthy enough. Wouldn't you agree? And like, look at me with like the, yeah, wouldn't you agree? And I'm just like, I, I want a fucking grilled cheese and fries. Like, are you kidding? Like we're at a diner. And um, yeah, it was torture. Everything, everything. It, everything was always, uh, oh, you don't want to go to bed when I go to bed. What do you not love me anymore? Oh, you're staying up to cheat on me, aren't you? So all those things he was accusing me of, it was like, oh, I have to prove to him and I would just lay there for hours not being able to sleep. And I remember, I'm like, I'm 24 years old. I should be at a fucking bar right now. Like, I remember there were times I would see things and it was like the Barbary was having a show. And I'm like, can I go to that? And he's like, uh, yeah, okay. So you could find men that are going to try and take you from me. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, I could say all this with humor now, but then it was not this humorous to me. It was really dark and it was really lonely. Um, I remember I would, I would, I would constantly take showers because the shower was the only safe place to cry. And I would contemplate, you know, not, I, I would not saying that I was technically suicidal. Um, but the thoughts would go through my head that the only way out of it was like that. Like I would never be free from this person. Um, and I didn't understand how I couldn't leave. Like it, the, the brainwashing was that deep. And then when we were around other people, he was the best person alive. He would be like, oh, my girl heals people and she has a YouTube channel. She's so wonderful. She's incredible. And then I remember everyone from the tattoo shop we worked at watched him throw me against a brick wall because I wanted to go get a drink with them. Like he threw me against the wall by my throat. Everyone saw it. And then he like let go. And then I got, I got punished the whole way home and the whole next week because they saw him choke me and I caused that it's just it's it's fucking crazy but so yeah being controlled like it just it was all my driving force to get the fuck out I had to get the fuck out because it was always I did this for you I did this for you and I just I just I would snap and I would have it and then when I would snap because he would push me purposely it's called reactive abuse um he would push me and push me and push me and then I would explode because I couldn't handle it anymore. And then he'd be like, see, you're so abusive. See, you're crazy. Look at what I put up with. No wonder I'm the way that I am to you. Look at you. I'm the only one that'll ever love you. No one will ever put up with this shit. And I just, I had enough. I was spiritually awoken and intuitive and, and empathic enough to know that it was wrong. I was traumatized and brainwashed enough to stay, even though I knew it was wrong. And I knew that I had to fight that addiction and I had to fight it. Like it was the fight of my life and I knew I had to do it and I was going to do it and nothing was going to stop me. And that's, I posted that picture on the internet. I got an email the next day from another girl he cheated on me with. He called me, he called me 
what the fuck is that thing that you, well, he had other people calling me from other numbers because I wasn't picking up. And he called me and he's like, what the fuck is that post? Are you fucking kidding me? You know, she cheated on me. She tried to ruin my life. You're doing the same thing. And I go, hey, motherfucker, who is so-and-so? And he goes, I don't fucking know. And I go, actually, I have all the screenshots of you saying that I'm out of town or I went to go visit my parents and to come over and all this and blah, 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 blah. And he's like, I cheated on you. And I go, uh, you're never blaming me for something again. Game over, motherfucker. Never come near me again. And I hung up the phone and that was the last things I ever said to him. Um, it was a power move for me. I felt really proud of myself. Uh, and then that's when it got really, really dark like really dark. It was, it's literally a heroin addiction. Like I got off of it. I knew that it was bad. And then the withdrawal started and he would call me and try and rope me back in and text me and be like, I thought about killing myself today. You're the only woman I'll ever love. Our souls are bound to one another. You can't, you can't escape me. Da, 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 da. And I wanted to crawl back in because at that point it was easier to be abused by him. I was good at it um, than it was to do the healing process and to get all that stuff out of me. And then you have this somebody that's in the public eye that people are saying, well, he didn't do anything to me. And I'm like explaining the horror that he did to me. Yeah, well, he's still my friend. Oh, well, yeah, he gave me like a half off tattoo. So like it has nothing to do with me. And it's like, so you're supporting my abuser. Like, you can't be my friend and support my abuser. That's not how this works. And just the smear campaign, he would just say I was crazy and all these horrible things about me. And 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 I would warn the new girls. And he was like, he would already tell them that I was going to do that. So I would look crazy. So we'd be like, see, this is what she does. She's crazy. She's obsessed with me. Um I didn't let that part bother me though. Cause I had enough women that were like, yeah. And, and being a, a part of the spiritual community, enough intuitive women that had said like, Nope, knew it, knew that it was off. Like glad you saved yourself. And then I just started giving real life stuff. And that's a lot of my healing came in validating other women that they were also in a situation like that because it's so confusing. You don't think you're an abuse. You're, you're sometimes you're just like, well, I come from this childhood maybe this is all I get. I remember being young and being told that I'm absolutely going to marry a drug addict or an alcoholic because that's what I grew up with. And me being absolutely certain in my brain that I would end up with that. And that's horrible. Like, and then understanding that what I saw in childhood. So all I saw was toxic. I saw fighting and things being thrown and violence. So when I got real bad with him, it felt like home. It was like, Oh, here it is. There's my childhood. So it was so easy to stay and override the other things because it was just like the feeling of it felt good because it felt like what I learned in childhood. But, you know, I fought enough. Now, a word that gets thrown around a lot is called normalizing, 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 normalizing. And what you kind of touched on kind of opened this thought to me. Our past childhood traumas kind of normalize us to the acceptance of bad behaviors in relationships. And so when we encounter them from our partners, we don't believe that they're anything besides, well, this is how things work. This is how relationships are supposed to be. And so we're willing to kind of accept them because that's how we came up. Is is that how it's, is that how it goes? Cause you know, you hear this, but you don't really, you know, you need someone that kind of like 
provide that and say, yes, it is, or no, it isn't, you know, but I hear that often. Yeah. Because anything that's familiar is comfortable. Like, so let's give a really, really good example. If you're laying on your back, what is familiar to you? If somebody's laying on top of you and you're on your back and they're threatening you, what is familiar to you? You're going to roll that bitch around and get on top or you're going to fight them from the ground. That's your, your normal. That's what you're used to. Your body naturally knows what to do. Your muscle memory and your brain is equipped that if somebody's running guard on you, you're in guard, you know exactly what to do because you have worked it over and over and over and over and over. It would be no sweat to you if someone landed on top of you. You'd be like, yeah, game over. Like, watch this. Now let's think about the random man next door for me. A guy throws him down and is on top of him, hitting him. He has no idea what to do. He's going to get hurt. He's going to get, you know, really, really badly hurt. It's not, he's going to fight and, you know, whatever, but he doesn't know, like, it's just, it's not something that's bred in him. Granted, his situation is bad and yours is saving you. That's what you think. So your body goes into this place where it's like, well, this is so normal to me. So this is safe. I know how to work through this. This is safe. It's not chaotic to somebody like that, that. He's getting hurt. He's like, I'm never going near that again. That's not normal. I don't like violence. I don't like fighting. Like I got assaulted by somebody, somebody like you, that's good at rolling. You're like, yeah, I can do this all day. It's comfortable. You know how to navigate through it as to where someone else has no idea. So me, I'm really good at navigating toxic behavior because I come from a narcissistic uh, mother that abused me my whole life. Um, told me I would never amount to anything, told me I was a loser, told me I was a piece of shit, you know, beat me, did the whole, uh, no man will ever want you, no one will ever love you, you're not talented, whatever. So when I would be with men that would make me feel like shit, I would be like, oh, that wasn't very nice. But I wouldn't have a defense against it because I was just like, oh, okay, well, yeah, that makes sense. You know what, you're right. Yeah, you know what, you're right. Yeah, you know what, you're probably right. I grew up my whole life hearing that. So you're probably right. Fucking, what's his name? God, I almost said his name. Saying things to me like, well, you're so young. You don't know how to navigate through life. I need to do this for you. You know, I was brought up being told that I was not smart enough to do things for myself. So it was like, as much as I knew that that was like mean and it felt mean, I was just like, oh, all right. Well, I'll just let that roll off because it's comfortable. So it's like, a lot of the times we recreate our childhood enough to the point where we're sick of it. And I believe it's our inner child in the driver's seat that's trying to show us the emotions that we've dug down. And it's saying, look, look at what we're, this is what we think is normal. That's not normal. Till you get to the point where you're so broken open that you're like, I can't do this anymore. Like, and then a lot of the times it'll start to affect your physical health, your physical body autoimmune disease, injuries, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, because your body is sick of trying to fight to get you out of it. Um, and a lot of the times people just submit again, because it's, I'm more comfortable in this because this is what my life always felt like. Then it's too scary to try and go on the other side of it. Like I'm not equipped for the other side. I'm equipped for this. 
And, um, you know, it's, it's really fucking scary to break out of that. I'm still continuing to break out of like things that I'll allow just because I'll make excuses for people. For me, it was, oh, that they're an alcoholic or she has mental illness. So when they're doing that to me, oh, okay. All right. There's an excuse. I need to get to the place where I'm done making excuses for people treating me like shit because it's comfortable to me. If I make an excuse and I see their why, it validates why they did it to me. But I'm having to get to the place where, why is that okay? What about me in my childhood that is still so alive in me that is like, okay, it's okay if someone treats me like shit. It's okay if someone talks to me like that because they had a bad day. And there's a difference between someone taking their shit out on their partner and, you know, huge difference. That happens. That's life. That's normal. We grow. We work through it. But I mean, just being so fucking blatantly mean and me just being like, well, you know, that did happen to them today. Yeah, guess what? I had a really fucking bad life too. And you know what? I didn't do hurt people. I've never hurt somebody. So, and, and, you know, everybody's different, but yeah, I think what is familiar is comfortable. No matter how much it hurts, no matter how much it sucks, if we're good at it, we're not going to stay away because it's not, it's, there's no, there's, there's no blow in it. That's a warning sign. None of it's a red flag. None of it's a warning sign. These are all like the flags that you were wrapped in the blanket of and you were raised in. So they make you feel safe, really. I really appreciate the breakdown of that. And I love the double entendre of using a jujitsu reference. And (laughs) you're absolutely correct. If we're talking specifically about jujitsu, if you are unfamiliar with having somebody put their whole elbow in your neck and face, yeah, And you want to get normalized to that jujitsu will definitely make what is completely uncomfortable. Oh, this is a, and, I, and this is why I tell people when they go, how can, how can you let that happen to you? And I, I'm, I'm at the point of where I, I actually, in my game of jujitsu, I want to get as much pressure and uh, our school is very well known for neon belly and just absolute old school ground grinding passing are a very that's our all of our professors are very legitimate in massive amounts of pressure crush the old saying uh the, they gotta cook the beans where you can eat them we get <laughs> crushed we get cooked but if a grown man were to get on top of me without the skill to put that level of pressure it's no factor yeah. and i love that you use that uh allegory to explain the situation for me in in thinking about what you said is I have always, and, and uh, I've always allowed to believe that I wasn't worth anything because we were raised poor. We were yeah. raised in a welfare line. We were la- We were raised without specific utilities. We were raised not having things. And so yeah. I personally believe in my own trauma world that my childhood just said to me, you need to be happy with whatever's in front of you because this is what your lot is in life. And as yeah. an adult, as adult male, it's very hard for me to be like, oh, I want, I want, I don't know if I want anything more because I've never even tried to aspire. You know, I'm not Anthony Etown. I'm not, I'm not trying to drive a Maserati. I'm not yeah. trying to make a million dollars. I'm happy that I have a house, I have heat, I have water. And I know growing up, I didn't have these things. I have food in my refrigerator. I can go to the store now. And it's one of my, you were talking about like, bad behaviors that come from childhood like my bad behavior as an adult is sometimes eating stuff i shouldn't 
Yeah. Just because I, how many times I told him, no, we can't afford this. No, we can't afford this. And now you so, can. So you do yeah, it. Yeah. I'm going to get that slice of pizza that I don't need. I'm going to get that candy board. And, you know, it's probably not the best description. And, you know, but that's well, something that's, that I, that's the case of your inner child giving you the healing that you need. Yeah. It's like literally like it's a, uh, I, I still comfort eat the stuff that I probably wouldn't even think to eat when I get really like, I'm emotional. I'm emotional eater. And now I have a shutdown mode to just, when I get really upset, I, I call it um, sleep, sleep nap. That's it. I'm, I'm stress napping and I'll shut down for four or five hours and just pass out because my body and mind need to just rest and whatever's going on, I'll just sleep it through. Yeah. One of, one of the things that I saw in your social media, not so long after the breakup and the rebuilding was your ability to connect with people. And you mentioned Ricky, I don't have any person in my life that I can think of that hat at this point that doesn't know what that is, but in case someone doesn't break me down what Reiki is. Um, Reiki is basically sorry for uh, not pronouncing it right. I'm sorry. It's Reiki. No, everybody pronounces it different. I'm, I probably pronounce it wrong. I don't fucking know. Um, it's basically harnessing energy. So the body is made of energy. Energy cannot be created nor be destroyed. There are a lot of people that get turned off about Reiki because they're like, Oh, people just think it's playing with magic rocks and this mythical thing. To me, it's literally energetic force. You are harnessing energy, manipulating energy. How much of us know that parts of our brain are still completely locked. Like there, we are pot, we are capable of so many more things. And to me, I think just the third eye and the crown and the extra sensory abilities in understanding energy is just, I don't necessarily even think it's like a, uh, a mystical thing. I think it's just a sense that we're all born with and we're taught to shut down. Um, so what it is, is you're harnessing the energy. So emotions have energy. They sit in the organs. Every organ has an energetic factor. Um, parts of our body have energetic trauma, uh, traumatic factors. And what Reiki does is it goes in and it helps to start, get rid of that buildup. It starts to move that energy. It starts to, it's, it's like a uh, non-invasive acupuncture. Um, I know for me, since I was little, I physically feel other people's shit. That's how I've been my whole life. And so that was another reason I would like, you know, shut down people, please. Um, it's just what I do. I literally, I could feel if someone's about to cry. I could feel someone having a stomach ache. I could feel someone having a toothache. I don't know if it's severe, severe hypervigilance from childhood. I don't fucking know, but I know it's what I do. And I'm able to see in others what the emotional property is in sitting in that pain. And I help people, you know, deal with it. We, we pull it out. We talk about it. Yada, yada, yada. Um, so what Reiki does and, and Reiki is not even my main source. I literally just sit with somebody and I physically feel anything inside them. It's just what I do. Um, but what Reiki does is it, it goes in and it, and it helps you to understand yourself. I think getting attuned to Reiki is really powerful because it opens up your cellular DNA to just a heightened sense of understanding the energy in our own body. Like so many people understand that stress can give you a heart attack. Well, what the fuck do you think other emotions can do to your body? Like, that's a pretty proven thing. Oh, if you're a stressed out person, like you, you could have a heart attack. You could have a stroke. Okay. Well, what do you think anger can do to the liver? What do you think not being able to process your emotions does to the kidneys? What do you think trauma does to the brain? What do you think not speaking up for yourself does to your lungs and throat? It's a whole multitude and Reiki just kind of goes in and is, it, it helps pass that stuff. 
That's absolutely incredible. One of the things that we talk about at work all the time is just bad habits. And obviously I'm a 40 year old construction worker who doesn't chain smoke, doesn't drink. Yeah. It's the same. I eat two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every single day and, two, and, a, and a banana on the way to work. So when I see these dudes with five hour energy drink, lit cigarette, coffee at five in the morning, I'm like, bro, you're going to die. Yeah. And the first thing they say is, dude, you don't understand how crazy my life is right now. And I'm like, listen, I understand your life's crazy. And I always say, but if your life's crazy, you're already feeling like shit. All of your stimulants are just going to make you feel like hell on earth. So now, let me also go to that. They already feel like shit. So why not put things that reinforce the feeling of shit in their body to make them feel better? Like attracts like. That's exactly what I think. <laughs> energy matches energy. And also I learned because I was a smoker for a long time. I realized that things like smoking, what it does is it, it goes into the place in your lungs, which is grief and inability to speak how you feel, not standing up for yourself. So I would smoke as a coping mechanism to like the things I would want to say to shut it down. And, and that could be a little like, you know, but I'm, I'm okay with sounding at this point in my life. I'm okay with sounding how I sound. No, um, you just blew my fucking mind. I want you to think about every single wet, uh, every single funeral you're ever at. Every single funeral, there's a line of people. I have friends who don't smoke, and I've seen them at funerals smoking. Yeah. And every war movie, obviously, they use cigarettes in World War II to kind of help as a stimulant, as a uh, appetite, thing yeah. to keep the appetite down, but also to handle things like grief. So you just fucked my whole world up saying that. Oh, shit. No, that's, it's interesting. I never smoked in my life, but it's just interesting that there's a connection in that regard. Yeah. Now, um, also, you know, to kind of go into you, well, I want to backtrack on one thing that you said. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Go for it. When you're younger and you have to use food stamps um, and you have to turn on the oven to have heat in the house, um, I know both of those very well. You also have a certain shame behind you, which causes you to not speak how you actually feel. And it causes you to chameleon yourself to other people. Because you have this dirty secret that you have to hide. You're not like everyone else. So what that does when we get older is cause us to go to our coping mechanisms that we couldn't have then because we're proving to our inner child, look at what we have now. And we were kind of rebelling against that situation. It's the same thing growing up as now with an alcoholic. You have a dirty secret at home that you can't tell anyone about. So it teaches you to kind of like just be this tough person that you have to be in front of people because you're at home where you're supposed to feel safe. You don't feel safe. So how are you supposed to feel safe anywhere else? So that does cause a lot of fighting and a lot of anger and a lot of rebellion against certain things. Um, shit, what was the other thing I wanted to say? With regard to oh, earlier things? You probably, you know, the fighting and a lot of the anger, you didn't use vices. No. So where other people suppressed some of it, you, yours was full on display yeah i had a i had a very violent childhood as um watched my mother get abused by my father uh, we were abused by my father okay and then and then i watched i watched my father and mother have a serious like life-changing fight that ended in a giant puddle of blood on our kitchen floor all yeah. the windows of my house smashed cops and separation and was told specifically that my dad was no longer around for quite a many years and when he showed back up i was like how's this motherfucker still around why is he here yeah and um i as as i got old, i mean i'm talking about until i 
even in my thirties, I was punching people who had put their hands on my mom. You know, there was like, it was something that was embedded, like at a certain time, no one's putting their fucking hands on my mom. So I I have 0.0 tolerance for physical aggression towards females. Yeah. And it's one of, you know, uh, jokingly, everyone's like, oh, you're Captain Save-A-Ho or, you know, like, yeah, but it's not the case. It's that I've, I've, I've had a shutter. I've had a shutter in my house and had to deal with, you know, a lot of fucking chaos. And then the other anger comes from being a white, a white long hair kid in a black neighborhood and being told, well, you have to learn to fight them. Otherwise you're going to have to deal with it. So we were normalized to street fighting in a way of, oh, this kid has a problem with you. The parents will come out. You got to get in the street, fight, get it over with. So yeah. b- by the time I found hardcore and the people in my neighborhood that would find hardcore, we were normalized to, if you got a problem with someone, you just fight them. Yeah. And when we were running into people who didn't do that, we were like, what are you, fucking pussy? That's how we go. You know, yeah. you got a problem. We're going to fucking bang it out. And this face is not one who hasn't been punched in the face. I've been, I've been beat up more times than I ever beat up anybody. And I, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of how I feel about it, but I feel like we weren't cultured to use other methods. And we were just allowed to be very violent. And the violence was almost not, I won't say heroic, but mm-hmm. it was laudable if you were known to be violent. And, you know, some of my hardcore heroes were equally known for like, and, you know, they weren't eschewing violence. They were, you know, exuding like the most ma- maximum, like, oh, you know what that guy did? And you hear a crazy story. So there was a one-upsmanship in my early 20s. And when I got arrested, I was on um, court-ordered anger management, conflict resolution, started to go through therapy. And even though my mother had uh, has a degree in psychology, until I was in my late 20s, I never had real therapy. And I had to open all this stuff up. And what you said about never having a safe home, it wasn't until I was in my... Uh, it wasn't until probably about three years ago that I've had a house where I'm completely happy and safe in, and I've had a, a warm bed. I've got a situ- I've got a, I've got a, I've got a, a home that I'm not afraid of. And yeah. it took me to be 37. Now I'm in my forties and I'm finally like, I'm comfortable at home. I don't have crazy amounts of weapons all over my house. I'm not constantly worried. People are breaking in and all the things that I worry about. And I don't know if it's made me a softer old dude, but I've allowed my emotions to come out more, but it all stems from the childhood. And it, and there's so many things that I missed and so many ways that I probably could have been better to people, but I was so wrapped up in all that shit that it was hard to even grasp how I was feeling or why I was feeling. And then when you're, and this is like not to aggrandize or just, you know, this isn't like, self-aggrandizing discussion it's just like being completely literal there was a tour in 2005 with shattered realm i don't think we went three days without getting blood all over ourselves from fights and from violence and it was because the path that we were on the associations that we kept and the way that we problem solved which is fighting you were we were always fighting we were always in trouble you know, and obviously it ended with the shooting in Tucson and, you know, this, yeah. and, you know, a year, two years later, there was a, someone killed in New Jersey. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is all stuff that we started seeing 20 years back with the fights with Nazis and people getting shot. We were yeah. stabbing people in our teens. So it's only now that I'm hitting 40 
that I'm starting to kind of like, I don't feel like I'm completely free because it stays with you, but I feel like I've broken that cycle of violence. Yeah. And not only have you broken the cycle of violence, you've channeled it into training in BJJ and, and, and learning your body more and learning hope, healthy coping mechanisms. And, and it's, it's interesting to me the way that like you got into, which we talked about how you got into BJJ. It was, oh, I've like- told, I've told, I've told that story a couple of times on the podcast. So I never, okay, I, okay. I just have to protect. No, no, it's all good. Yeah. Now you're all good. In you that basically regard. took your old life, met it where it was at, said no more and channeled it into the next step of your life. And from there, the rest of your life is turning into this safe place for you. Your home is safe. You, you, you feel better about yourself. It's, it's your, you're not in that place anymore. You're not in the place where it's like, where, where's my next meal coming from? Or, you know, oh, we're on the food stamp line. Not going to talk about that at school tomorrow. Uh, not going to have to fight my way to feel safe. You're just like, yeah, I'm good. I'm doing things that make me happy. And also, yeah, you could have been better to people when you were younger, but how the fuck were you supposed to know any better? Like, we can't blame ourselves for our old actions. I can't blame myself for making out with people because I thought they were cool in a band. It was a fucking, I wanted to feel special. I didn't know any better. Now, me now, I'll I'll fucking clown dudes. I'll laugh at them all day. Um, (laughs) Love it. But it's like, when you don't know any better, you need to have a level of forgiveness within yourself because- you were born and raised in, 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 and this is in general, we're all born and raised in something that we don't get a say about. And we're not told that something is abusive and not normal until somebody tells us. Until we wake up one day and we're like, I don't think that that's right. Or you go to your friend's house and their parents sit at a dinner table and everyone's happy and nice to each other. For me, that was like, I need to go home. I saw parents holding hands being nice to each other. And I was like, this is so uncomfortable. Like I can't be around this. And it's, so we put ourselves again, circling back in the situations that feel good to you. It felt good to be beating up dudes all the time because you fucking, you're still protecting your mom. You're fucking raging against your dad. You're doing everything you can that no one will ever put you through that again. So you're basically putting a fucking gunshot out to the world saying, no one will ever make me feel like this again. Fuck you. This is how I claim my power. It was you protecting yourself. And in the realm of emotions, like you're, you weren't really allowed to feel them. So I I would never, you know, feel or get down on yourself if you weren't perfect to a girlfriend or perfect to, you know, a partner. It's because you, you didn't know any better. No man taught you how to do that. You were navigating it all by yourself the best way you knew how. And that's all of us. That's actually an important thing that we're going to touch on next is that now as grown men, there's so many side conversations that are happening in response to so many people getting called out where there's grown men in every state in this country involved in hardcore who are saying, all right, we got to, we have to really work on this, not just ourselves, but we need to work to make sure that we're a little bit more visible in being able to be available if there is these kind of things going on. And yeah. also we need to be more verbally out and open that, Hey, you're not going to get any brownie points with us by being a piece of shit. And, you know, whether it's, I mean, you can see it and I'll give a shout out to our friends, uh, girl gang from Boston. These are incredible women who are getting self-care packages together for women who are uh, down on their luck. There's a whole group of girls 
within hardcore that we are have always supported and kind of grew up with us. But we also, as men, need to do a better job to put that blanket protection to everybody. And I spoke to you about the fest, and now we have that phone number. One of the things that. that one of the things that I think becomes important is in a community, be it hardcore, whether it's spirituality, there's just these basic ethics that kind of are expected and are assumed, but the hookup culture nature yeah. subjugates and sneaks around. It's like the, the fence is here, here's the rules, and then, oh, well, it's a hookup culture, so people slide under the fence and they go over it, and we can't maintain and monitor all of it. And it makes it harder for me as a fest organizer. And it wasn't until someone had said to me, yeah, I talked to this guy in January about coming to the fest and he's mad that we're not going to hang out. And it's like, I only talked to him a couple of times. There needs to be a open communication from men to say, you cannot do what you think you're entitled to. Like there's an entitlement. There's an abusive power. Well, she said she was into me. So I expect this, these expectations. I don't know where the fuck they came from. I, yeah. I've never, I've never expected because I was nice to a girl to get something from them. I've yeah. also never really a hookup dude looking like Shrek. It's always been easy. I've always been more of the goon than the pretty boy, but we need to break down and get rid of these models where guys think that because of a conversation that they're expected, any kind of anything. And I think that we're going to do a great job when hardcore opens back up to specifically just keeping this on the front. Like we're not going to tolerate these behaviors because it does look bad on the ones who don't do anything. And we're not a silent majority. A lot of the times we don't even know, like I said to you, if a guy is hooking up with a younger girl, if it's not on the internet, most of us don't know the inner, the in outs of an inner, of, 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 a, of a hookup. Yeah. No one's ever come to me and said, yeah, I, I tricked this 16 year old girl. Cause I, I have a daughter who's almost that age and I have a daughter who's 23 years old. And if I find out you're doing that, I'm going to fucking crack your fucking head open in front of everybody and make yeah. a point of it, you know? And I found something that you said in, um, when we, when we get to a, a comfortable state, do you find that the people that are around you now, even though there's not the 300 people that you knew from hardcore are so much more supportive than when, you know, you were like, not the bell of the ball, but you knew more people in hardcore. Do yeah. you feel more supported now at your age that because you closed your circle a bit? Yes. Big time. I have so many people around me. This year has been pretty huge for me in the realm of people standing up for me. So like being bullied at one of my martial arts schools by a dude that is you know in his 40s or whatever and is just jealous is angry at the fact that I'm really good at what I do and I'm a girl and I'm a strong girl and I'm an assertive girl and you're not going to get in my fucking way that's how I feel I'm who the little girls I teach their look up to like they're the one the parents say to me like thank you my kid has a role model like and that's I'm so happy about that like I spent my whole life just being this, this, this quiet, just, okay, you could abuse me. You could do this to me, girl, that now I'm this girl that stands for something and you're never going to fucking silence me. But we have like, I have this psychopath that, that people are making jokes and it's really, it, they're, they're serious jokes. They're like, he's going to blow your head off one day. Like this guy literally cries and says, I've ruined his life by being there. Like hates me 
Like it's, it's a deep seated, it's, it's not normal. There's something off there. And just me having these newfound friendships with like men in martial arts in my life that like, cause I've been assaulted in martial arts too. We've talked about, I did not get back into jujitsu because I was fucking sexually assaulted by people I trusted um, when I was a teenager. And having these men that are like, that man comes near you, he says one word to you, he's done. It's done. Like knowing that I don't have to be on my own and, and be the only person kind of like taking it um, has been really important to me because even I remember when all this fucking shit, people I wouldn't sleep with in hardcore and all this stuff, it was almost like I had to pretend that I wasn't embarrassed and pretend I wasn't hurt because it, it was the easier way to protect myself than, than say like, oh, these people are posting pictures of me on message boards, like calling me this like disgusting whore and like she's so ugly. And at the time my teeth were really bad because no one ever took me to a dentist. Um, and I had really bad dental problems. I've since gotten them fixed, but like making fun of my teeth, making fun of things I couldn't help. Um, just cause I wouldn't sleep with you. And it's just, it's, it's crazy going from a realm of no one wanted to stand up to those fucking dudes. No one wanted to say, why are you doing that to her? Cause it's just like, Oh, it's not my business or I'll jump in on it. Even girls jumped in on it because honestly, girls in hardcore were almost worse. They were the ones whose bios on MySpace were like, I punch sluts. And I that was a very popular don't. saying at the time. Yes. I probably don't like you or you're at a show and you're being very kind to a girl and she's just kind of looking at you. And if you're, again, if you're wearing makeup, if you're wearing anything but a t-shirt, if your jeans are a little too tight, they're going to fucking treat you like a piece of shit as a younger girl. Um, no one ever stood up for me. No one ever fucking you, you stood up for me. You fucking protected me in, in from some of that stuff. And it's just now in life this year, I'm learning that I don't have to do it by myself. I don't have to be alone. I, I don't have to just sit there and take somebody abusing me or take somebody being fucking awful to me. I'm in this place now where I will never allow something in my life to happen that I would not be proud of little me to watch or one of the little girls that look up to me or the women that I teach self-defense to. I will not allow any of that shit ever again. If I start going back to hardcore shows, it, it will never, one, I'm fucking, ugh, these kids now, <laughs> you know? Nah, there is no if, you're coming back. We need, <laughs> we need, we need you back. We need okay. you back. All right. I still love Under Oath, though. That's fine. <laughs> well, the, the biggest, the biggest thing about you isn't your height or stature, but it's your uh, polymathic abilities to go from being a black belt multiple times over in Taekwondo so then I look on the internet and you're fucking doing judo throws with some grown ass <laughs> men and you are working in hop keto. Yeah. You have recently oh, started BJJ. Yeah. You are taking a screamer, which is a Filipino stick fighting. It's and stick yeah, it's a, you know, um, it, it, it's the most famous ass beating stick fighting I think I've ever seen. And you are involved in women teaching women how to protect themselves. Yes. I would really like for you to kind of go down the path of the importance of martial arts and also the importance of females and how self-defense is an empowering aspect that every women sh woman should try to walk down. So, okay, I quit martial arts when I was 15 because I wanted to be cool. And, you know, it wasn't cool... I was so worried about fucking fitting in and there's no shame in that. Um, I would be going to 
taekwondo class at 15 and then like come home and get ready get changed like oh i'm going to a hardcore show you know gotta put my camo hat on and my fucking my whatever um and i I, and i didn't like telling people so i kind of just quit i i let go of the only thing that i loved for acceptance which you know looking back that's so sad um but so anyway it was a few years ago. I never let go of martial arts. Like I would train with people and I was doing BJJ in my teams with people. And what happened to me was the guys that I like, I guess, trusted. And I was training with, they held me down and they were touching me inappropriately. And they were like, well, you don't remember the move to get out of this. I'm not going to stop fucking grabbing you here until you remember it. Then maybe you'll learn. Maybe you'll pay attention. And I got up crying. I was screaming. I got up crying and I was like, I will never fucking do that shit again. Like that's, it's not fun anymore. Like martial arts is not fun anymore. Like trying to even dip my toes back in. I was like, this is not fun. Um, and then a few years ago, about three years ago, I went through a pretty horrific, you know, time in my life. I just left the person I thought I was going to marry. I was with him for four years. Um, you know, him and I were on warp tour together. He played the band. Like we just, we lived this like cool little cute life, um, in Massachusetts and, you know, I realized that we had just grown apart and I went down this really dark rabbit hole of like, what the fuck is my life? Like, this is what I thought was going to happen. And I went into a depression and, and when I go into a depression, I, um, I sit in my room and don't talk to anybody. No one will know where I am. No one will hear from me. I go radio silent. No one will see me. No one will know anything about me. Um, and then I was like, well, I can't cope like this. This is not healthy. So I decided to start going for walks. I was walking 10 miles a day. It was what was soothing me. And then one day I was sitting literally where I am right now. And I was like, you know what? You were so fucking good at karate. What the fuck, Al? And then I was like, you need to do Hapkido. My only relevance or reference to Hapkido was I was on the Delta team in Taekwondo. I, I traveled and like, and, and did performances at tournaments with like rolls and break falls and all these like Hapkido throws. Um, and then I found this school and I started and my first day there, master Brian was basically like, holy shit. Like you're a natural martial artist. And I trained super fucking hard. I was there six days a week. Um, got my black belt and I I was like, I'm back. Like it gave me this confidence that I lacked. It was almost like the missing puzzle piece to what I needed there was a newfound confidence that I had in myself where it was like, I could walk in a room and I knew I could defend myself before, but like, this was like a, I can really fucking defend myself against somebody bigger than me. Um, a few, am I allowed to say trigger words on here? Should I like, um, yeah, you absolutely can say whatever you need to say. Okay. Um, a few years prior to that, when I was in Philly, I was out for a good friend's birthday. Um, I was raped in somebody's basement where I felt safe to be sleeping by somebody I knew. I couldn't push him off of me. No matter what I could do, I couldn't get him off of me. I was screaming no. I was kicking. I was pushing. So, you know, what do you do? You submit. And that moment forward, you know, it, it, it killed a part of me. It really killed a part of me that I couldn't defend myself against that. Um, and then so, you know, I, I have my black belt and Hapkido and I'm like, yeah, now I could really do this and I could really do that. And then I became a trainer at CKO, which I, I started uh, teaching cardio kickboxing. I, I, I was just really discovering these new parts of myself. And then 
there was, we have a trainer at CKO and I, I realized that him and I had so much in common with martial arts. And I was kind of like, not enamored by him in a crush way, but like enamored by him in like a, oh my God, he's on the American team for judo. He was raised in Japan. Like he, he used to hit bricks with his feet, like to learn like the, the foot like thing, Ashiwaza and all that. And um, I decided I needed to further my martial arts career. I love Hapkido. Hapkido is my core martial art. I'm there all the time, but I knew that I needed something more. I needed something that I was going to really, really feel like I was doing the damn thing even more so. Um, and so, and I, and I also, you know, at some point, you know, you need a break from certain things because otherwise it gets tired, right? Like if you're with your partner every day, you need a break. Otherwise you're going to get a little sick of it, no matter how much you love it. And, um, so then I started doing judo with Mike and I'm taking a 250 pound man, like, and fucking nailing it. Like I was so, and I'm so, it's natural to me. And I'm like, it gets me hype and it makes me feel high. And I've never felt so empowered being able to take a man that much fucking bigger than me. I have this thing about me where anything horrible that happens to me, I'm going to find a way to make that shit gold. Like, oh, I was raped in Philly. I couldn't get this man off of me. Bet. Watch what I'm going to do with it. Oh, I was abused by a man for years and this is what he did to me. Watch what I'm going to do with it. I liberate the fucking suffering, the women that deal with this shit. I use the real life stories because I'm not afraid of him. I'm not afraid of him. What is he going to do? He's tried sending fake cease and desist. He still stalks me. He has people follow me. He fucking prints out everything I post on social media. I've never said your fucking name. So go back on your fucking bridge with you troll. Um, but I turn everything that I, that's bad. I'm like, well, I, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I want to be here. So what can I do? I don't want to wallow in suffering. I'll allow it for a little bit. What can I do with it? So then I had judo and I'm fucking loving it. And I'm having these CKO classes where I'm hyping these women up with hardcore music on my playlist and like making them like do jab, cross, like a, a knee well, during like a, a sick breakdown. So I'm bringing hardcore back into my fucking rotation of life. And um, then from there, when we started doing the groundwork in judo, some of the things I was like, oh, rear naked choke. Okay, I remember this. Uh, triangle. Okay, I remember this. Uh, hip escapes. Okay, it's coming a little back. Um, and then I remembered you being like, you know, you should get back into BJJ. And I'm like, oh no, I'm too traumatized. And you were like, no, it'll be different. Like, just do it. And then I did it. And now I'm back in BJJ and it's safe. And I'm taking my power back in something that tried to take my power. And I'm fucking loving it, like loving it. And so I have that now and, and judo, and it's only going to help me at judo because I plan on competing next year um, in judo. And I, you know, at this point, I probably won't be JJ too. Like what I, whatever, this is my thirties, but there is a confidence. I swear I'm a woman. I've only ever liked training with men. My first partner was my dad. I used to accidentally hurt girls. And you, you know, my size, I'm tiny, but there's this force in me that it's just, it's stronger. And now I'm able to take this, this super strength. Cause what Mike says to me, when I say sometimes I, I can't like Osoto Gari and, and certain throws, I can't, I'm like, Mike, you weigh too much. And he goes, 
I don't want to hear it. He goes, I'm a 250 pound man. You're going to train like a 250 pound man. And you're going to fight like a 250 pound man. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. Um, and so doing those throws and using my brain, like mind over matter. And, and it's just the confidence I have as a woman. Now it's a different kind of confidence. You walk into a room and know you're safe. You walk into a room and just know that it's just like, it's different. And I wanted to give that back to women. I wanted them to be able to reclaim their power. So I started a self-defense program where it's things that I find to be important. And a lot of it's groundwork. A lot of conflicting things in martial arts is, you know, in BJJ, it's like everything starts on the ground. People that are top fighters are very like, no, it's not always going to end up on the ground. And there's this, this, this divide that you see. And for me, I'm like, why not take all of it? And understand that not all fights stay up here and not all fights end up here, but you're going to have either or or both. So let's make a combination. And I created this formula based off of what happened to me in Philly and getting out of it and break falls and knowing how to fall and knowing how to hit and knowing like I throw Muay Thai into it and and Krav Maga into it and Judo and BJJ and just like so much Hapkido and it's just like these women are like I, I I'm I'm feeling better like I, I I feel more comfortable and to me I just I I don't know when it happened but you know I woke up one day and I was just like holy shit like all the horrible stuff I've been through I've like basically been walking in this dark shadow my whole life. And it's literally, and, and uh, not in a, I, I'm just Alex. I'm in social media. I like fighting, but my message has been so much to just empower and help women. And then when I look back at all these horrible things that have happened to me and I see the good I've done with it, I'm like, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. And that's what I like to give to women on social media by telling my story because they're like oh my god I would never believe that you've been bullied one of my PT clients I, I said to her she's getting really bullied and I was like I was like I used to be really bullied she goes yeah okay who would mess with you and I'm like oh sweetheart it's taken a hundred years to get to this place but it, it feels good I think every and I tell all my clients that have been in an abusive relationship or some sort of abuse of power or abusive situation learn a martial art. You are never going to feel worse for empowering your physical body to defend yourself because that is going to trick your brain and help your brains be more methodical. Tell me your approach at life through knowing BJJ, you don't approach life differently. It's not a whole different fucking chess game for you. We were like, okay, well, if this arm is going down here, then I'm going to have to grab my hand here and push the elbow up and push them on there. You know what I mean? No, everything, everything can relate back to jujitsu in so many different facets and so many different ways. And specifically just the patience that jujitsu gives you, you know, the ability to, um, I went from 265, 270 to 218. I think right now I'm like in the 220s range. The ability to have someone who's heavier than you on top of you and understand that they're going to move and you can make things happen and change that. You understand that not everything is permanent. Even a six minute roll that could feel like an hour, it's going to end. So instead of being like, I can't deal with it. We, we kid around, we say goon chokes a lot. And it's basically just a lot of elbows in the throat and just really dickheaded shit. We do to our own friends, mm -hmm. you know, um, 
we try to goon each other out and have fun and laugh about it. But the reality is, is that jujitsu specifically teaches you that you can weather a storm and there's always a way out. And it's not just pure strength. It's going to be timing and leverage and mm-hmm. seeing the opportunity and having the right mindset. Like if someone's on top of you in full mount, giving you the business and you're in freak out mode, you're actually going to open up more opportunities to be in a worse spot. Yeah. Then if you just time it and go, okay, what do you, and what happens if you're on top of me, giving me the worst and I'm like, no factor. It's, it happens in the animal world. They're trying to, you know, the predator is trying to make something happen. It doesn't work. They're going to try something else. And that's your opportunity to escape. Um, I play a lot of defensive roles and I, I find timing leverage and weathering the person's patience is what has gets me out of bad situations. Also, jujitsu just teaches you that there's no shame in losing. And in fact, if you train jujitsu or you would like to train jujitsu, tapping out is the second most thing you have to do besides learning how to tie your belt. <laughs> and that's it. Like you're going to, your belt's going to get tied. You're going to have to retie your belt. Everything else is you're going to tap out. And every time you get a little bit better, someone's there to put you back in your place. And there's a new move or something you haven't seen. And there's so many allegories to real life. No matter how good you think you are at something, someone knows more. No matter how fast you are, there's a way to beat that. You have to stay humble. And it's taught, it's taught me that, you know, uh, one of our best instructors, if I saw him on the street as a young man, I would size him up to be, I can kick his ass. And this person literally can fuck me up in so many ways, but you'd never see it. And yeah. there's so many beautiful lessons that come from jujitsu. I, th- I think that like, it's, I think martial arts and specifically jujitsu teaches you so much about life when you give it the opportunity to teach you. And uh, previously my only martial arts had been going to karate. And uh, I always tell this story because it's super funny. I was on the demo team, which meant we would go to, and this is the 1980s. The demo team would go to block parties and they would play ZZ top legs and we would do a bunch of moves and they would hand out (laughs) and they would hand out flyers at the block party for like, come try our karate school out. And um, I would, I did not enjoy competitions because I had long legs and I got DQ'd a couple of times for kicking people in the balls. And yeah. I was very frustrated that I didn't have any, there was no karate at home. I grew up on ninja movies to this day. Mm-hmm. I'm still, I'm still obsessed with ninja movies and karate movies since I was a child. I, I didn't, I, we didn't have a lot of money, but my mom figured out a way to get me a ninja suit from Asian world of martial arts. That's amazing. I, think I was, I think I was a ninja for like three years of Halloween. Oh, of how, yeah. Halloween. I was a ninja every year. Yeah. Every so, year. so that's, um, besides that, I did some boxing and did a little bit of Muay Thai and I have ADHD. If you tell me to kick a bag 10 times, I'm going to forget by six or seven, how many I hit. Oh, yeah. And I, and I learned early bags don't hit back. So I, it just never was as kinetic as jujitsu where you feel the person's pressure and you have to read them. You have to, it's such a, and that's why I like to train with you and judo because I'm not a wrestler. I'm not built to be like a, and I didn't do wrestling early, but I feel more comfortable getting into that hip position to start like an Uchimata than I would trying to go for a single, a single leg pick or like a double leg takedown. And I find that if you are focusing on martial arts, it's in your head every day. I went through a little bit of experience with this, with the SCA, the sword fighting stuff, 
but it's so limited, not just in the training, but it doesn't excite you because there's no fight or flight. And mm-hmm. you know what that means. When some, if, I, if someone's yep. on top of you and they are in a bad, you're in a bad position, cognitively, your brain starts to panic. I've never been panicked once in a sword, in a sword fight. It's kind of fun, but it's never like, yeah. oh shit, what's going to happen? It's, you know, like jujitsu the first time, the first time I trained, I threw up outside and I, I was so afraid to come home and I just felt like I wasn't going to be able to do this. And I just kept pushing myself through and it was such a physical challenge that I was just happy to get beat. And I, and I learned to just take it. And I, I get beat a lot. I get beat often. And when I get the one thing I give the person who I train with, if you tap me, I'm going to try to stand up before you and just be like, come on, let's do it again. Yeah. And, and that's that there's so many great lessons from jujitsu. Um, do you find yourself because you have so many different avenues and different training things that the there's a fluidity that goes between all the martial arts and that it makes it easier to learn one now that you have the base in so many? I think having a background in Taekwondo, I also, I do think that genetically I am very naturally gifted in martial arts from my father. That is the one thing that I could give myself. That's like, yeah, I'm naturally good at this. Um, boxing was always natural to me. Sparring was always natural to me. It's always just been more of a, a, a natural thing for me. I find that it's, it's been almost like a domino effect. So in Hapkido, it's off balancing, it's wrist locks, it's joint manipulation, it's using somebody's energy force and size against them. So being my size, I could take down, you know, somebody just by off balancing them. You know, it's a bucket of court. You're going to be able to control somebody if you could off balance them. And then, you know, you know what to do, get them in a lock. Um, doing hip throws from that got me to be able to do judo hip throws. Doing the hip throws in judo taught me a deeper understanding of the center of gravity. It taught me a deeper understanding of when my center of gravity is against somebody else's center of gravity. That's almost like our, um, our gravitational force. And the rest of it all is just flailing around doing the best it can to manipulate our center of gravity, um, our force. So it taught me if I keep my center of gravity close to somebody else's, then that is where I'm going to have the power over it. And that's where I need to now strengthen everything else to help with the force of that, you know, going down for, um, like Kochi Sotogari, like going down in that and falling and knowing that I need to fall somewhere and go into something that taught me where, when I'm falling to not be in that fight or flight and to keep myself close. It taught me that having space is your enemy. Um, Hapkido also taught me that because when I come down on someone's shoulder and I'm, you know, everything's a circle Fibonacci sequence, when I'm manipulating somebody's wrist and holding their shoulder, their whole body, you know, is taken over. If I have that little bit of space there, they're going to turn around and kick me in the fucking teeth. So much of it has taught me more and more and more to build on. And through judo and, and understanding you have to really be close to the center of gravity, it's given me that understanding in jujitsu now where I'm understanding when I'm rolling with somebody, I need my center of gravity to be the force. And the rest of me, when I'm doing pendulum swings with my leg and flipping my hip over, I need that center on theirs as much as possible, at least in where I'm at right now. Um, knowing 
also that like, you know, controlling somebody's head is also controlling their body. So I understand that from Hapkido as well. I understand when I'm going to put somebody into a triangle and I have to push my body this way that if I don't have their head close to me in my center of gravity, they're going to get out of it and they're going to, you know, do something on me. So I feel like each martial art has given me the gift to better understand the next one. And then just being a nunchuck freak and a sword freak, Filipino martial arts, like especially knives from Krav Maga or whatever, like Filipino knife fighting is like, and stick fighting is like my favorite thing. And it's a totally different skill set that, you know, I just remember from when I was little. So that I kind of take out of the equation. That's like the, the, the three ninjas ninja in me, the power ranger in me. That's like, this is so cool. And like knowing that the, in the Philippines, I forget the war because my, my brain is fried. Um, I think they went over the, the Japanese were sleeping, they invaded them and they destroyed them and conquered them with a stick and a knife and understanding the, the push and the pull of it. And that also helps me understand. So jujitsu on the ground. So I'm on top push, pull, and you can't see the move that I'm doing right now, <laughs> but I'm pushing and pulling, or if I'm going to do a arm bar, I'm pushing and pulling the arm, you know, so it's understanding the push and pull everything. I feel like the cool thing about martial arts is it all has something in common with one another. If you could understand, and I don't know how to explain that. So I think think you have to just do it. I think it has to be a kinetic, it's a kinetic thing that people need to, to try out. Do you in your, you let's break into the Alex Mark energy world. As yeah. you're helping people and healing people and talking to people about breaking p- trauma bonds and getting over traumatic pass, do you counsel people to try these arts or is this something that you don't lead people to until they start bringing it up what you do? Um, no, I tell people because when we have that much of an emotional instability and that much emotional trauma, it needs an outlet. Um, so I tell people to either sign up for cardio kickboxing, to sign up for a martial art, sign up for this, sign up for that. I have so many women that are rape survivors that have now started in BJJ. And they're like ranking, like this one girl, she's a purple belt now. Um, I have another girl, Muay Thai. I have a girl that travels from Philadelphia to my Hapkido school to learn from me. Um, I tell every woman, every single woman. And they're like, you know, I was thinking that, but I'm afraid. And I say to them, I'm like, we're all beginners. Like this is something that it's going to help your body learn a new skill set. You're going to grow. So yeah, anybody that's a victim of abuse, I absolutely tell them like, that's a way to do a soul retrieval. You can retrieve parts of your soul that have been taken advantage of by just knowing your power. And when you know your physical power, it helps harness your emotional mental power. You are absolutely probably one of the most diverse as far as what you do that I've ever had on the podcast. And as a friend, you go in so many amazing directions that it's just awesome to hear you kind of break it down because everything has layers, but they always connect. Where do you see, where do you, when you, when you're at home, I should say this is the best way. This is a better way to say this. Your average everyday life is using social media. You have a business where people contact you and you do readings and you connect. And then you also have time for this entire wealth of martial arts skill yeah you said outlet the martial arts is the outlet or do you have a separate 
thing that has nothing to do with anything we're talking about? Do you have something aside from all this that's your outlet? Like, are you somehow like a secret video game fan or are all your energies currently pushed in right now to bettering yourself? And is there a time when bettering yourself, you need to stop and just lay in bed one day? Like, how do is there a timeout and what do you do for that? My timeouts consist of me watching movies or allowing myself to watch trash TV. And I just sit there and just let myself be. And I try to not think about anything, not put pressure on myself. And I try to just be like, I'll light candles. I'll like, I know you're straight edge. So I mean, no, just, you know, disrespect. Like I'll have a beer. I relax. I hang out with myself and I have pet rats and they're my little best friends. So I hang out with them and I just do a lot of reflecting and I'll be like, Hey Al, you know, you're fucking killing it. Like I spent so much of my life hating myself for reasons that I never should have hated myself that I'll just like have a moment and I'm just like, Al, you're the shit. Like you're killing it. And I just, I I agree. I think you are killing it. (laughs) (laughs) thank you finally it only took to my 30s huh yeah no it feels good it feels good and I and you know what and I am gonna I'm not necessarily gonna name drop whatever I don't fuck fuck this so um my ex-boyfriend um is in four years strong again not a bad word in the world to say about him he is a lovely amazing human being that I love and I wish nothing but the best for um but they play a holiday show every year and I remember they played a show one year and do I pronounce it right? Incendiary? Incendiary. Inc- I, I don't think anyone, I think depending on where you live, you're going to, you're going to say it differently, but incendiary or incendiary, depending on how you enunciate. Okay. So I've been out of the game for a long time. Like I still listen to suicide file. Like it came out yesterday. I'm wearing a walls of Jericho hoodie. I know. Like I, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not crazy. So they played the holiday show and I'm like, damn, I missed this shit. And it was like breakdowns and like fucking junk junk. And I was just like, I miss hardcore. I miss hardcore so much. And then I suppressed it. So I was like, it can never be. It's a different world than you're used to. And it's just crazy how everything, if we really look at everything that we've talked about, getting traumatized and hardcore made me fight for myself. It brought me into warp tour. Like it's just, it, here we are. Yeah. What's Type crazy? One, one hardcore saved my life. <laughs> it, um, Incendiary had been a band for about 10 years now, but really in the last five have become the like the reigning kings in so many ways because they're not a full-time touring band, which gives them a you know, like terror, madball, all the greats will always be the greats. Mm-hmm. But though because Incendiary specifically chooses when they play, yeah, their sets are. I just did them last year. The, the one year anniversary of that show was celebrated on the internet because it was that fucking good. And that's that's the best aspect of hardcore is when They're a band, foods, right? Like absolutely heavenly, okay. literally, it, like they are chaotic good because they okay. could easily decide tomorrow. You know what? Let's quit our regular jobs and just tour and try to make as much money. They do hardcore for the right reasons. Their band sounds the way they do for the right reasons and this is a band that when they were in a demo phase i got them on a couple philly shows and it didn't hit with people and i was like this band's terrific 
Fast forward to them having one of the greatest headlining sets I've ever seen yeah. at the First Unitarian Church. They are in a principle to we talk about with energy. They only exude good energy. They yeah. support people in the most pure form. They do music and hardcore for the right reasons. It's not their job. It's just something they love. And they emphatically do not take on things that they cannot go all in on. So they'll never do a 30-day tour, but they do these short little runs. And it mm-hmm. keeps them and it keeps them pure. And the yeah. guys are so grounded in being like, look, we're from Long Island. We got wives, we got jobs. This we do this band as our release, and because people love it. And it's what yeah. makes them so pure. And you know, I have nothing, I, I have the truest respect for bands who could tomorrow go out and make untold thousands of dollars for a short time making the band and go, no, we'll stretch this out by just doing the band and people like us, so we'll play. And it, it's not a political move. It's not a business move. It's, hey, this is the only way that we can make our band work. And this is what we do. And it's fantastic. So they are great humans. And to hear that you were excited about that is just so cool because that's what people do when they see this band and go, yo, that band brings me all the way the fuck back. Like, yeah, they, 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 they have bring- that that sound that I'm just like, oh my God, I feel like I'm 15 again. No, they, they, I'll send you a video just so you could see that at the church being on the, being a witness to it. I was actually just proud that we put the show together. It was like, so cool. Yeah. One of the things I want to get to before we wrap this whole thing up for me, I I love that you were able to use, and I brought up many times, go into what your social media work is, the kind of people that interact with you and the kind of things that you help people with. So I post about things that I feel to my core. I'll never just post about something because I feel like I need to keep up with the social media presence. Like I don't give a fuck about any of that. Um, for me, it's it, if I've overcame something and I'll sit with myself and through like hundreds of readings, I've been reading people since I'm fucking 18 years old, you'll learn so much like the psychology of everything to me has always just been very natural. It's, it's always just came to me. Like I could look at somebody and say, you did this because of this. Was it my downfall at one point? I would make the excuse as to why someone treated me like shit. Yes. But it's, I had no self-worth because I wasn't taught how to have self-worth. I wasn't taught what a boundary was. I didn't know that you could, I didn't know that you could say no to somebody. I didn't know that you could say, you don't get to treat me like that. Um, that was foreign to me. And the more I grow and the more I learn, I only post about things that I myself have healed from, have understood deeply, and I give my real life scenarios. And I always say to people, I'm like, take what resonates, leave what doesn't. But in one story, you could always find your own why. You could always find your own O and connect the dots. Um, I have so many women that like, if I post like, oh, when I was little, Um, my mother took the hinges off my door. I wasn't allowed to have, uh, boundaries. I wasn't allowed to have privacy. I wasn't allowed to have safety. And then, you know, go into the, oh, when my ex-boyfriend went through my cell phone, I never stopped it because, and it's like, we'll make that connection, not having privacy or boundaries. Like that's your normal. Like that's what makes you feel safe. And like, let's go back. Let's talk to the inner child. I, I talk a lot about the inner child, a lot about the inner child, because it's like, 
we get to certain ages where the hormones start kicking in and we want to be adults so bad that we let go of that kid that's still sad. And I guarantee if every person that comes from a hard background looked at a picture of them as a little kid and really looked into their eyes and said to them, you, so many unfair things happen to you that you never deserved, you would cry because that inner child is still existing on the quantum timeline somewhere. And you know, everything that we do in our life, we're basically just, we're either reenacting childhood or finding ways to heal the childhood and evolve, to break what all of our mothers went through, to stop the patterns that have happened in our family. Because a lot of people, they're just like, that's just how it is. My mom went through this. My grandma went through this. Like, this is what I go through. And now more than ever, and you're seeing on social media, women are like, where normally women are like, I'm going to stay quiet about what happened to me. You see women that are like, yo, this motherfucking narcissist gaslit me. And it bothers me the, the amount of people that are like, oh, every girl is with a narcissist now. And it's like, yeah, what do you think half of our parents were with? What do you think like was going on that women weren't allowed to talk about? They couldn't talk about the fact that they were getting abused. Women are meant to be seen and not heard. They don't talk about that stuff. And now we're taking our power back and men get abused too. So it's not exclusively just a women. I just talk from my own point of view because I'm not a man. Um, but I engage with men too. I have more male clients than I do feminine at this point um, because men feel safe with me because I do martial arts, because I'm like, fuck shit, this, I'm imperfect. My life has sucked. I'm not a perfect version of myself. And in a lot of spirituality, they want to kind of like tell you if you, if everything is not love and everything is not light, then you're wrong. And it's like, okay, cult leader, tell me my emotions are wrong. So I suppress them more. So I'm trying to appease to you. It's fucking bullshit. Um, so I just give people that validation. And if I really make like the, 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 I, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say it. So like, it's crazy the parallel that, you know, hardcore, you go to hardcore shows because you have this anger, you have, it's a release. You feel like other people are like you. There's people in the lyrics that like feel how you do. You're chanting together. Everyone is coming together. You're, you're on that vacation from whatever your fucked up life is. And it's a safe place. And I, I like to feel like on, on platforms of social media, I'm giving that safe place to feel fucked up. And to not have to appease to anybody and not have to be perfect and be, and, and I always say anger is your greatest tool to liberation. I didn't leave my ex-fiance because I was filled with love for myself. I didn't know how to have love for myself, but I was angry enough for myself and what he was doing to me that I was like, this isn't going to happen anymore. And so many people are shamed for having anger. And it's like the, it's a natural emotion that the body is giving you. We put labels on things and then we take the power of them, the true power of them. And we put these labels on them to shame people into being fucking carbon copies and to stand in single file and to not disrupt things. But I challenge all that. I'm like, well, how about we're allowed to feel this and we're allowed to feel hate. We're allowed to give ourselves that validation. We're allowed to not forgive our fucking abuser because why would I forgive my abuser what, like, and, and excuse him of his behavior? Are you fucking kidding me? I have deep appreciation. And people will be like, you're free if you forgive your abuser. You may feel it, but your body and your organs are going to tell you a very different story later on in life. It's suppressing. That's what you're doing. You're creating excuses, which a lot of the times we were taught in childhood to create excuses. Like, oh, this person's doing the best they can. I'm going to, you know, be there. And it's like, a lot of the times too, we don't even realize that like, 
with our parent doing the best that they can. It's not that they were abusive, but we need to validate the inner child to know that they, they, they needed more and didn't receive it. So our parent isn't necessarily a bad guy, but we're still craving attention in the wrong places because we didn't get it at home. Um, it's so much, it's so much. I just, I validate all of it. I do my best to just, I do my best to just validate people's darkness because our darkness is the, the key to, to living and breathing and being sane and healing shadow work. I, I remember I first started it after I left fucking fuck face. What is that? I don't, I don't, I've never heard of that word before. Shadow work. Yeah. I never heard of that. So people use the term shadow work as like your dark stuff. So your, your depression, your anxiety, your trauma to me, that's just like, why wouldn't that just be normal? Um, you know, and a lot of times people are told just remain positive. Uh, what? Like, okay. Or it could be worse. Okay. Gaslighting and validating me of my own experience. Anything could be worse to anybody. So shadow work is just going in and touching in on those dark things that are kind of left in the dark, in your shadow. And, um, I remember the first time when I left him 2013, somebody said to me, you know, if you just forgive him, you'll be free. And I was like, fuck you. Like, I feel like I want to die. I have to write a list for myself every day of how horrible he was to not give in to his fucking trying to hoover me back in bullshit. Like, no, that's not going to make me feel free. And I'm angry. I'm angry for what happened to me. I'm a good fucking person. At that point, I had started a YouTube channel helping people that felt like me. I was helping people already. And I was like, fuck that. I've been through enough in my goddamn life. Like I did not deserve this to fucking happen to me. And I allowed myself to feel that. And what that did is that liberated me. And I, I healed quicker in allowing those emotions and not being like, well, that's a, that's a bad, that's a no, no emotion in spirituality. I'm a lone fucking wolf. I don't need anyone in spirituality to like me. And, um, I remember people being like, that's not very love and light of you. And I was like, I don't know when the fuck I ever claimed to be like that. And I just started challenging everything and, you know, people like it. So I don't know. I don't know where this fucking, this person came from later in life. Maybe it's all the horrible shit that happened, but I'm very like, you're not going to silence me. And I'm not afraid of anybody. I feel it sounds like it's an amalgamation of what you learn from hardcore punk juxtaposed with the anger and frustration from what had happened to you and kind of like just like you use martial arts and different things to kind of like mold on the one you kind of created this force within yourself to rebuild and then challenge the doctrines that are in the positive world like the positive world i would say the spiritual world is a better way to put it I can't think of a world where you only have light. It's a, it's an, that's an imperfect world. There has to be a balance. It's scientifically impossible. Exactly. So right now you have to, you have to accept darkness and -hmm. understand it. And you have to push towards the light. And I find what you said about PMA to be absolutely astoundingly relevant and hardcore. I have a great amount of friends, obviously John Joseph's and his PMA books and stuff. We should, we should always, yeah, I like we 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 want to be our we want to be our best selves. But something that I've said on this podcast and is my uh, current mantra comes with Marcus Aurelius. We have no control of outside events, only how we react to them. And we if we are naturally able to react as 
uh, oh my God, well, we'll just turn this, you know, lemon into, you know, lemonades or whatever it is. That's good, but we're not always going to do that. Um, no, because we're going to have a dark part of ourselves come out at first and react from the position of when they were first traumatized and now they're having a trigger. Absolutely. And that's so what unless you bring light to that shadow work, your reaction is going to be your child, your inner child. And another thing, you can be a positive person because there's this guise of it where it's like, no, you have to remain positive and just, it's okay. I'll deal with this. It's, it's, I'm going to pretend this didn't happen, or I'm just going to look on the bright side. You could be positive. The, the word end and, but they're so, so healthy and healing. So you could say, I'm very positive that I'm going to be okay, but I'm allowed to feel like it's the end of the world right now and I'm suffering and I I'm drowning, but I know I'll be okay. Or I am so dark and depressed and I'm going through all this bad shit right now. And I don't know how I'm going to get out of it. And I'm still attached to my healing narrative and knowing I'm going to be able to be okay. So validating yourself, but, but knowing that like, you know, this is a part of your experience and it's healthy and you can have it. And knowing that like, you know, you may feel like you want to die right now. You may feel like you are at the lowest low and you are crawling to just get ahead, but not giving up on yourself, but letting yourself stay down for a little bit, because sometimes we have to stay down for a little bit and have that suffering and that mourning for the child that was never allowed to feel that because they were living in cortisol their whole lives, never knowing what they were supposed to feel next. You're absolutely so touching on so many things that just constantly come up on the internet that it's, it's great that I had you break some of this down. One of the last things I'm going to ask you before I ask you a couple quick ones is you mentioned gas was, so I was narcissism is gaslighting. I didn't even understand what that word was until like a year and a half ago. Then I found the fucking historical reference to it. And it just blew my mind. Um, I definitely could say as a 20 something year old kid who was fighting with his kid's mother while in a gang, there was definitely some gaslighting of like, no, but it was never like about other chicks. It was like, no, we're not getting into trouble. Like this is my way of getting out. Like, you know, like I'm you know, like, I feel like, the word is used so much, it may take away the importance of breaking down what that is. Yeah. And I think that's why dudes blow it off. Like, oh, yeah, I heard that word so much. It's like, doesn't it matter? But there is an actual thing that happens with these people. And you hear it constantly when the stories come out where the intuitive nature of a person sees bad behavior. And you touched on exactly how you subdue that intuition because you want to be loved is mm-hmm. that how it works you want to be loved so much you subdue your own intuitive nature like i think he's lying to me or i know that he's lying to me and you yeah. accept alternate reality that's exactly what gaslighting kind of is so you accept yep. a bullshit world and a bu- and i use a bullshit world and in a world where this lie has truth you know like that's the nature of gaslighting correct is that someone wants adulation and 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 love enough to ignore intuition that they'll accept a bad a bad a bad a bad lie yes also on top of it the person has such conviction in what they're saying that you question your own reality 
yeah, like, as an as an historical reference where they turn the gaslight down and you start having a question and yeah and you and you have to question like yeah maybe am i fucking stupid do i not see this coming yeah it would be like i'm trying to think of like a really really good one what was the thing that you were most gaslit about that took the longest for you to have the aha moment let's use you let's use you if you want to expose that you don't we don't have to uh no i'm open book I think a lot of it was with fuckface. He would always say, I never said that. I would be like, yeah, remember when you said that, like, we were going to go on vacation and we were going to do all this stuff together. And he's like, I never said that. Where Maybe that was your last relationship. Like, no, I definitely never said that. And I would just sit there and be like, no, he definitely said that. He definitely said that. And then he would, like, get really cold to me and be like, you know, it's kind of weird. You're still bringing up your old relationship like that. Like, I, do I have anything to worry about? Like, real fucked up. And then also me saying like, hey, remember that time we had that conversation? And I said, if you're ever feeling this way to just, I'm the easiest person to date. I'm so fucking easy to date. I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not accusatory. I'm non-reactive. I'm like, hey, if you're feeling this way ever, can you just like, just let me know, like, hey, I just need some alone time and it has nothing to do with you. And just like, I'll fuck off and like go do my own thing. That's fair, right? And when I say, hey, remember, um, I had asked you maybe if like you could just let me know that something like has nothing to do with me because you know my my past and I was blamed for everything and it's a real touchy subject for me. Um, and I asked you to do that. Are we in that thing where maybe you just forgot? I never agreed to that. I don't even remember talking about that. Um, no, I had this conversation with you. Yeah, no, I don't remember that because I never would have agreed to that after agreeing and saying, yeah, babe, like I understand everything you've been through. And you're like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, are you fucking kidding me? It's, but I think a lot of it is taught to us in childhood too, by our parents, even going back to being like a little kid and you know, you get fucking hurt and your parents just like, no, you're fine. Stop crying. You're fine. And you're just like, oh, I guess I'm fine. Like you're taught like, oh, my reality, oh, I was hurt, but now I'm not because somebody told me I'm not. So it's easier to accept it sometimes maybe from like, you know, me having a mom that told me she's never put her hands on me in her life. And I'm just like, uh, no, that definitely happened. And then questioning my own reality. I would be like, wait, maybe it didn't happen like that. Like they say things with such conviction too, to smear your own reality because you're easier to control when you're confused. I really appreciate that laying out because I think that we see the word used and it just becomes something that people blow off. But it's an important aspect of abuse that is not seen as abuse, because when we think of abuse, we think of physical violence, verbal threats, and that is very much abusive. One of the things that I learned in the last couple of years and felt so fucking stupid about was that what comes with uh, consent is that we were taught as boys, if she says no, you stop. And there's different aspects of stories that come out. And one of the ones that came out years ago about some actor 
and there was no fighting back. And I was like, well, you know, if you're getting raped, would you fight back? And then I learned that about the freeze up and the trauma that some people freeze up. Yeah. And now understanding that for, for what it is, there is no direct normal reaction to any kind of physical sexual assault. And some people freeze, some people fight back. And when on, which is, these are all parts of CPTSD, which is complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's all how you react to a traumatic event. Some people, when they're being raped, will just go with it to convince themselves that they're the ones that said yes, because they had no power of saying no. Well, it's something that I see in the, in the public forum. You brought up like, oh, well, he never did this to me. And what about this? Yeah. There is, there is no, there is no real, there, there needs to be a better construct of what consent is out to the world. And it's not, it doesn't, consent doesn't start with no, there's a lot of other things. It's something that we had to learn, you know, uh, the grabbing of asses and dumb shit was stuff that we definitely did as kids and stupid shit like that. Yeah. And, and you learn, you learn later on, you feel dumb, like, oh yeah, we should never did that. You know, like, yeah. and there's mixed signals. There's things that go on, but then you can't, what I'm getting at is that we always have to continue to update and learn more about what consent is. And it's something that we all had to learn, you know, like there's definitely things that I had to learn in listening to people's stories that I'm never going to know the guy who did these crazy ass things on these tours. I'm, I, I don't know that person. I know the person that talks to me about some dumbass bands and chit chats. They're not going to tell me the person that's like, tricking these girls over the internet to have sex with them you know like that's not the guy i know so Mm -hmm. my so a male's reaction is going to be oh i don't know that That, i never had that experience yeah he's not trying to fuck you you're not a 16 year old girl yeah i i really just appreciate seeing you out there it feels like it's not just your full-time job but it's a passion that obviously is overlaid across all your social media platforms and I set all this up to say, what do you think the best thing that you think you've heard as a response to how you help people? What is it like the most rewarding thing from someone that you've helped in, in reaching out through social media and helping these people? What's like the most, like, you know, not, uh, you know, what's your like crown jewel in your crown of awesome help stories without getting too many details and exposing someone's yeah. stuff, obviously. One, I will say so many women from hardcore that have came to me and said that reading what I write about my real life situations and, you know, things that have happened to me helped them start the healing work. And seeing somebody that they saw at shows or knew of, you know, know that they went through it too. And this is how you take your power back. And this is how you could heal from it. And when I'm saying this stuff, like, obviously you run, this is hardcore. I love hardcore and I love the hardcore scene outside of what I experienced. So I'm in no way being like a hater of the scene. I'm a hater of the events that happened to me. 
I'm a hater of people that abuse their power, but that's in anything. But women that come from the music scene or from my childhood, and they're like, I remember you like that. And now you're the one helping me. Like I was five years older than you. And now you're the one that's saving me from this. One of the more recent ones that blew my fucking mind was my sixth grade teacher that I now in life have helped and helped heal. And it's just crazy to me because thinking back to sixth grade, I was so bullied by dudes. Like they would hold me against my locker and touch me and shove me and like say the most evil fucking horrific things to me. It's just crazy to think of like that crossover when people tell me they left their abusers, especially on TikTok, all the, the, the things that I talk about on there and girls are like, this was the real life. Because right when we talk about narcissists, sociopaths, abusive people, abusive power, we give generalized signs. It's never, well, this is what this person did. This person manipulated me into thinking that I actually like something that I don't like because <coughs> that's the only way that they'll spend time with me. And just like these people that are like, you've helped me or your story has helped me to get out of this. Like your story, the things that you share have helped me to start the healing work to see that I can do this. You're, you know, sharing that you still go through this darkness, even as I, where I am now, like the last few months of me, for me have been very, very dark. And like, I've talked to you about what's going on and like, it's just, it's been very dark, but you know, I'm still, I could be sitting in the dark, but I know I'm going to find that light. And just women that say like your story and the things that you went through have helped me so much. That's so healing to the little me that's sitting in her fucking room, being terrorized on Facebook, getting death threats by dudes in fucking hardcore because she was 16 years old and didn't want to fucking sleep with a 30 year old. Like it's just, it's all just so healing. It's just such a, it it all just trickles on one another. And so like, being told that, you know, what my vulnerability, the fact that I'm not afraid to be vulnerable. I'll talk about my dark shit. I'll talk about the bad shit because that's where I've met myself and I'm comfortable there. Just, you know, women saying that they've started that journey for themselves too. Like that's the best compliment I could ever get. I feel like the important thing with you is that you have turned your empowerment, not inward, but outward. Yeah. And social media amplifies your empowerment in the social media, spiritual world of the live, love, laugh, where the story is more real. You're not a carbon copy of anybody I know truly. And that's why I had, I, I, I don't have, I don't ever want to have on this podcast, someone whose story is exactly like someone else's. And yet at the same time, you have so many parallels to so many of our previous guests that I knew your story would resonate not just with women, but with men in hardcore and elsewhere who listen. And I find that you have to be you to do what you're doing. And this is a true to every person I've had on the podcast. And so you fit so perfectly where we needed to hear you and we needed to hear what you had to say because only you had this experience. And yet, it's so it's so similar to so many people 
with the exception that you're on hopefully the other side of the tunnel. Yeah. And you're now able to help bring people to that side with your own light. But there's no way, there's no way to do it if you're only exuding the fucking the puppy dog and the light and the happiness. You have to show people that you can have dark to truly get to the light. I think that's why a lot of people don't relate and completely jump into the PMA world because their heart is full of darkness and they don't see it outside and they don't see a way out of their life. And I'll tell you what, uh, I was going to jump off a bridge six years ago. And the second time I thought about it, I was walking down to do it and I saw a suicide hotline thing on a telephone pole four blocks and I was stupid enough to call it and gave me that like stay of execution. I believe heavily in whether it's energy, whether it's gods, whether it's timing, whether it's the universe, but things are put in our path and we can react to them. And it's a choose your own adventure. And certain things are in front of us that we have to see. And I find that everything that was put in your path. You were very like notorious for being in a fucking gang. Everyone knew that. Everyone knew, you know, that side of life and now you've turned it around and you've given people a safe place to go to hardcore or you you know you do your best um you've turned it around so much that I'm getting my own healing narrative from being on here which I knew that that's what was going to happen the second you said it I was like oh there is going to be some soul retrieving healing shit going on for a young version of myself that the fucking like one of the biggest names in hardcore you're that you've known forever, like be well before all this. Like, would you ever think that you would have like, like thousands of fucking Instagram followers and host one of the biggest hardcore festivals like ever? You know what I mean? It's just like, it's crazy. And you, and, and you're, you're transmuting it just by having that number, just by making women feel safe. Like you are going on the other side of it. You're like, you know what? I do believe the victim. Like, yeah, that could have been my boy and that maybe was my boy, but that's not my boy anymore because that's really fucked up. And like, you're giving me my healing narrative and now I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go to This Is Hardcore again. I haven't been, the last time I was at This Is Hardcore, I think Suicide File played the first year. Yeah. The time Suicide File was there. Yeah. And just crazy. I have a- uh... Bane. Bane was there. Yeah, I saw Bane. Yeah, that was this. That was the exact same year for yeah. me. For me, I wasn't raised in Judeo-Christian world, but it became a part of a lot of our ethos around our house, and especially with that goofy, weird Catholic guilt. There's penance to pay in everything if you want to use that form of thought. There's things that I've done that. I can't remove from the universe, but I can make up for it by trying to be better every single day. There's people that are hurt. I think to this day, there's people that are hurt and only thing I could do for them, you know, uh, is I'm not the same person I was and I'm not the same person I was a year ago. I definitely, I'm not the same person I was who was sitting on that gangland TV show. I wasn't the same I, person. I I, I, no, you can say, say it. It. I, 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 I mean, I, I get Googled just when I'm at work. People, I, I try not to, I try not to cross the worlds of Joe Hardcore into Joe Concrete, but it's there yeah. and people know. <laughs> and then I get people that you know, like I'm a Freemason. I'm a, I'm a, 
I'm a union concrete guy. I'm a Freemason. I'm, I, I do jujitsu. I'm also a father. You know, I, I am I am who I am, but I'm a 40-year-old version with all the different emotions and the learned experience of all my failures. And I can't deny that things in the past would be things that I would personally tell myself, yo, you're a fucking, I would probably kick my own ass up until last year. There's things that I fucked up and should have done differently. And I just keep trying to shed that skin as a person and learn from it and push forward. I have jujitsu. I have a lot of really solid friends that I've accumulated over years who are just constantly staying on me in a positive light of how things going, the support. And then I have this project, This Is Hardcore, which has now manifested itself also in this podcast to support the culture, to promote the culture, and to promote the humans who are pushing this culture to the next generation so the good aspects come out. And so, yeah, did I carry a screwdriver and guns and hit people between my, you know, mid to late teens into my late twenties. Absolutely. Um, Now I go to bed early. I read, which is, I always read, but I I, I go to bed early. I have a system. I got a job. I have a dog. These are the things on top of jujitsu and good friends that have made life more more peaceful and, and kind of gotten some of the bad aspects out of my head. And I do feel, I feel sorry in a sad, like, I don't feel sorry for you. I mean, like, I feel like sad that, Growth is not extolled in the hardcore scene. Growth in a person is seen as huh, you're moving on. And it's like with the internet, you do, and I've said this on another podcast, you can always come back to hardcore via the internet, even if you can't be at the shows. The culture, yeah. the values, the people stay with us. Yeah. And so it's why I it's why I love it. And I and I'm really happy that you were on the show. I want you to talk a little bit about what you do and how people can reach you and then we'll sign off. Um, so I am, um, every session with somebody is different. I've never healed or helped heal two people that are the same. And I always say with a healer, a healer is not there to heal you. They're there to give you the tools and the, um, the steps to heal yourself. So that is very important to me. I'm not the end all be all. I don't have all the answers, but I just try really hard to, you know, use what I have to help somebody else along their path. Um, on Instagram, I am Alex March Energy, A-L-X-M-R-C-H Energy. My website is alexmarchenergy.com. Um, I mean, yeah, imagine. So like, let's talk about some soul retrieval shit. Imagine when you're working on Vans Warp Tour, you made it as you're literally just there to heal the people on the tour and you fucking train Keith Buckley in Reiki. Imagine that healing for me. Damn. It was crazy. Crazy. Um, fucking, um, and I would be able to say this too. This is just to relate it back to here. Like one of my best readings or favorite readings ever did was in the parking lot of warp tour. I read this man and it's all about his wife. And then I'm like, Oh, who's that guy on the tour? They're like, Oh, that's Brandon. He's uh, the drummer in a tray. Um, fucking read Joel Madden in a parking lot. And like, we became boys after that. Me, Joel and Benji became boys. Like, it's just crazy where this healing stuff has brought me through music. And, um, it's been cool that I have people that like, obviously I'm name dropping because I'm not bullshit. I'm name dropping because I'm good at what I do. Um, and I'm believed in, um, 
you know, I do good work. And so, yeah, I'm booking for late January. I'm always pretty booked up, but you know, I have, I have to, uh, I wish I said fucking tutorials. What do I do? Makeup, um, reviews on my website, reviews on my highlights on Instagram. I post them all the time. Um, and just for me, I just say, you know, use your intuition. Like if it take what resonates, leave what doesn't, if you don't want to work with me, but like you, you look at what I, I write and you're like, hell yeah, this resonates. You may be listening to this and be like, oh, I'm in hardcore and this is fucking bullshit. There's no such thing as being able to do that. That's cool, dude. I'll talk to you about BJJ all day. You know, I'm, I'm like we said, I'm, I, I do a bunch of things, but for my energy work and healing work, uh, that's where you can find me. No, you're awesome. In fact, anyone who wants to just get a piece of this, go to the TikTok. She's on there and it just rolls out and it's just like this. And there's so many affirmations and just supportive things that come from that, that anyone can see that this is like, this is your, you're like a beam of positive light. And I love that you are going to be coming back into our hardcore sphere. Thank and you. hopefully- <laughs> Hopefully the girls are nicer now. <laughs> no, you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to be, you're going to see a different world. Yeah. I, I used to kid around, I tell some people, my friends, it's a more gentrified hardcore, but it's not the people who are finding hardcore come from the same backgrounds mm-hmm. and some of them hide them better. We don't have yeah. the, we also have a different kind of community. And so I feel like you will have a rebirth within it. I'm looking forward to it because it's a long time coming. I'm going to, is, is, um, is knocked loose. Are they good kids? Cause they, they are good. They're, they're good. They're good. They're good young humans who are carrying the flag to these younger generations who absolutely need to see a band like this at that time. Like, Every generation, and I've seen so many incarnations, whether it was when Sick of It All was at their biggest. When Oh, uh, I love Sick of It All. You're, yeah, you're like, figuring a like, hole. Yeah, like when, you know, I've, I've gone through like Biohazard, Sheer Terror, Sick of It All, Manball, VOD, H2O, Into the American Nightmares, to Converges, all these different... All these different bands that cycle through at their top rate, and we are seeing this generation has incineraries. They've got knock loose. They've got turnstile. They still have trapped and rice. When they do play, they still have these bands that are current. Code Orange, Harm's Way, so many amazing bands that are this generation's flagship bands. That this generation, yeah, they didn't grow up seeing sick of it all sold at a truck so what they've got their own thing and these kids do their best with what they got and i and i support them for continuing the culture and that's i'm not the old guy goes doesn't sound like what i like so fuck them no they're they're, there are flag bearers right now and so i support them yeah because i i remember even so like being younger and hardcore like i definitely loved a lot of the old school hardcore um, but I liked the newer hardcore as well. And I remember people being like, you're, you're too young. Like, you don't remember real fucking hardcore. And I'm just like, okay, I'm sorry. I was born in 1988. Like, I didn't mean for this to happen. Um, you you want to educate me and not make me feel stupid because I'm trying to be into the same thing as you. And just because I like a newer band doesn't make me stupid. It's continuing on what like your generation built. 
what's what's interesting for me is before we get before we get out of here, I'll just say to you because it's funny. The new tattoo that I see on a lot of young kids is stomach rockers or chest tattoos with their year they're being born. Didn't so, Timberlake have that in that movie Alpha Dog? I have no idea. <laughs> My level of modern media is limited, so I, I couldn't tell you. But so yeah. you'll see a kid, you'll see a girl with a giant 1997 across her stomach. Or you'll see like a girl with like a 2004 tattoo and you're like, holy, holy shit. fuck, man. Like, and I think about like, oh, 97, I was booking shows. Oh, you know, like it, it's crazy to see that. It's crazy to see. And I, I, I love, I love hardcore now. And I think that this Alex March will also love hardcore now and feel grateful to have the contrast between what was then and love hardcore now for what it is. And I think you will definitely be at this is hardcore and you will definitely be back. Yeah. I just I don't have any friends in hardcore anymore. Like you I have you, you do. Like you, Zach. Yeah, you have you have people that care and you'll be back. And then just like anything else, you go, you meet people, and the relation is the same, you know. Yeah. Um thank you for coming on my show. Thank you for being thank honest for and thank you for being open. And you taught me a lot. You really did. And I, I, I hope you know that when I ask you questions about stuff like this on the show and off, it's because I, I don't have information to go off of. And I trust that you seeing how much you put into this can lead us in the right direction. And so that's why I think it's so important really to have you. good, especially because there are so many young girls that, like we said, are getting into hardcore now. And you're like, to them, you know, you're, you're a celebrity to these girls. It's like, oh my God. I remember I saw on TikTok not too long ago, there's this dude that lives over here that like talked about like a court case or something you had on TikTok. And then yeah, he, he retracted like, it. Thankfully. Yeah, he made a post and he was like, uh, and he like, his post was like, yeah, I, he, he messaged me personally. He's like the nicest dude ever. My story was wrong. Um, I apologize about that. Da, 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 da. And then like people were commenting and they were like, I would do anything to be able to talk to Joe Hardcore. Oh my God, you're so lucky. And I'm like, damn, like this dude, like I, I was just like, he has, he's doing such a good thing with this influence instead of like saying like, keep hardcore violent, like all that shit. You're just like, all right, dance, you know, mock, like do what you do. But like, you know, you're not going to be disrespectful to girls. You're not going to fucking kill somebody like you know, let's just enjoy hardcore and like get the bullshit out of it. You, you, and I just, it's people, there may be a girl that listens to this and she may be like, holy shit, there's a guy in that band that's a lot older than me. And he was doing that to me. Could, could that be happening? Am I being gaslit? And right now I'm here to say, this is your sign. Yes, you are being gaslit. And no, he doesn't think you're mature for your age. You're not mature for your age. You're a little fucking girl being taken advantage of. So take your respect back, pull yourself back and stay away. And I hope that any girl that listens to this, that's going through something similar, whether it be pop punk, fucking middle core, grind core, fucking, I don't care core. They remember that, you know, there are predators out there. And just cause the, the world is safe, hardcore is safe it's for all of us to go because we're fucking angry or we're frustrated and we come from this fucked up house and let's you know feel good together there is 
always, always a bad person. There's always a bad fucking thing that makes other people smell bad. Just, you know, don't let it, I mean, it fucking deterred me for fucking what, 12 years now? (laughs) But no, I think this is great. I think that I, I don't know. I feel good. I feel really good about what we just did. And I just hope that any girl that has been through anything, any bit of what I've been through can just know that it's going to be okay. You're going to find your power and to just validate yourself and don't feel stupid for feeling how you feel or missing somebody. Missing somebody that's abused you is completely normal because your chemical balance is dependent on them. Your psychology is dependent on them. So just, you know, remember that and just validate yourself. And I think that's the last of what I need to say to the ladies. (laughs) No, you killed it. And I just appreciate everything about, what you do on your social media and you as a person and you exposing the ups and downs, the trials and tribulations and to where you got to right now. And I hope that everyone listening goes and follows you on Instagram and Twitter and checks out the TikToks. Thank you once again. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed this one. Like I said, it's a different conversation than what we've done before. And I think especially with not even a full two dozen episodes under our belt. It's important to expand and check ourselves to make sure all these episodes aren't just kind of echoing each other. Even though there are so many common threads, even in her episode, that I find the value of the conversation to be very much in line with previous guests. Going forward, we have so many different great guests. I mean, got the first time we're going to have two separate members of a band one week after another. Got some old friends coming on the show. In fact, I'm really excited for the entire lineup of shows coming up over the next couple months. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you follow. Make sure you repost when we post on Fridays. Tell your friends about us. And I have gone back over the Patreon stuff and given another thought and I'm working on it. Nothing will be released until sometime in February. And I look forward to hearing from you and what you thought on this episode. And you'll be really excited on next week's episode, I promise you. So take care. And remember, go to the website, TIHC Podcast, for more information on all of our guests. Goodbye.